Welcome back to another episode of Bindalism, a philosophy to a self-sufficient lifestyle. This is episode 55 with the one and only Chloe Schnell. Chloe is a fashion designer who grew up in the Syracuse area, went to FIT, and has really showcased her uniqueness in her approach to fashion as well as her aspirations to affect the fashion industry in the future. She is very much a future forward thinker and creator. I'm really excited for everyone to, you know, get a taste of the fashion world. This is the first time we've had anyone who is a fashion designer, and I think this is going to be a really nice addition to the different stories that we've told throughout this podcast. We talk everything from what's wrong with the fashion industry to what's new and how fabrics are made and how to be sustainable with fashion. It's really cool. We talked a lot about some really important issues and topics, including things like how Syracuse will form into a flooding city in the next 10, 20 years and how this could really be a haven for creators such as our ourselves really excited for this one i'm not going to spoil anymore thanks for listening this is episode 55 we will see you in the podcast enjoy make sure to like subscribe comment let us know what you think about what we're doing if we can do it better who we should have on the show any of that stuff it really helps again this is episode 55 with chloe schnell enjoy We will be departing from Syracuse Hancock Airport and landing at O'Hare. Yeah, who the fuck is Hancock? <laughs> like, why couldn't? And why is it in Syracuse? Syracuse? Like, why couldn't it be like Otto, Otto the airport? Otto the orange airport. All right, we don't actually need these. All right, um, action. Episode fifty-four. <laughs> Mine's a little. Mm. Mine's a little loud. And it's back to back with Chloe Flores. Another Chloe. So, so two Chloes in yeah, a row. Yeah, singularity. Yeah. Episode, episode fifty-five. Welcome to the show, Chloe. I know we've been trying to like do this for a while, but then the world literally went fell into Armageddon. So yeah, we kind of crazy. put that on hold. It was not a good time for anyone to really be yeah, expressing hard. themselves. It's hard to sit and like talk about yourself i mean like it's easy to talk about yourself but when you're like you know surrounded by cameras and mics like you have to have a certain level of like confidence about yourself to be able to yeah. do something like that and i was just not in that place when we tried to do it before and i think all of us were kind of on the same page yeah it was just so much going on in the world to give everyone uh, some context when we tried to do our podcast with chloe the first time um this was back in the, like the height of the Black Lives Matter movement starting to kind of come about with it was probably a week after um, George Floyd had been murdered so it was there was a lot of shit happening there was marches happening outside the yeah. day of like right when we were about to podcast I so was late because I was recording them coming down the street yeah they stopped right in the intersection right outside our building and it was kind of like maybe we shouldn't do this <laughs> like there's something bigger than us happening right now so yeah. 
I definitely think in like the moment we were all kind of like, what do we do? But I think it was the right decision for sure. Yeah. I think everyone would have been a little distracted totally. during that because they were there for a while too. So. Yeah. And the thing about Syracuse, I feel like, you know, the conversation hasn't died as much, but maybe the outdoor protests have just because of the weather, you know, like it gets yeah. cold, people are cold <laughs> outside yeah. for long periods of time. Um, but yeah, over the summer, it was definitely really interesting to see like how our city came together because like my brother lives in Portland and he was telling me about his experience and that was completely different than what we got to experience here. It's, we're very lucky to live where we do. I mean, at least for, yeah. for how... Um, as far as like our safety goes, yeah, is that what I mean? you know, it's hard for me to say as a white mm. woman, but um, at least from what I saw at the protests, it seemed like, you know, for the most part, we didn't have to fear militia police or no, um, I, I don't think that happened at all, really. Remember how people were talking about how there was like buses of people coming from? Oh, Antifa's coming. <laughs> None of that actually oh, ever well. happened. Yeah, um, it was all just talk. Um, but I do think, you know, there is a chance that Syracuse could be targeted because of that, like for being such a peaceful, progressive Because we're liberal. City. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. So I think that was maybe where that idea came from, like the fear of that being a possibility. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah um, I guess just zooming out though, uh, what are your thoughts about Syracuse? And maybe we could just start off with that. Yeah. approach <clears throat> it's very interesting because i will say i did not see myself wanting to stay here for a long period of time until i moved here um so chloe also lives in the gear factory for anyone who's wondering yeah 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 gear gang, gear gang. Mm. <laughs> um mostly because i think um at least for me there's it's easier to make connections here you know it's smaller um, the art scene is pretty condensed, like everyone knows everyone, and when you need to get something done, all you really have to do is just like make a post on Facebook or Instagram and just have your friends reach out to you and then you can like make shit happen. It's pretty great. Yeah. There's not really that ability in the city, which is where I lived right before here. Well, mm. after being with my parents for a bit, but um, yeah, it's just... It, there in New York, it's more of like you're just a fish with a bunch of other, like a school of fish who's trying to do the same thing and you're all swimming in the same direction and like pointing the finger of who's copying who. And right, yeah. Whereas like, I don't know, <laughs> there was this article written about me while I was in school actually that said something like, why aren't you in your mom's basement creating the next big fashion brand or line or something like that? Directed to you? Yeah, it was supposed to be some BuzzFeed article about, like, the different schools in the city, and instead of talking about the school, they posted a picture of me, and, like, I remembered the guy who took my picture, and I wondered if he was the one. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Because <laughs> you remember that specific picture being taken of you? Oh, yeah, he stopped me and was like, hey, can I get your photo for Style of the Week? And I had, you know, assumed that that was what he was doing it for, but... Um, Sneaky journalists. Guess we can't actually <laughs> trust them journalists all the time. But the point of the story is I paid attention to what they said. I mean, partially because I had to, you know, just I uh, ran 
ran out of money in New York and needed to come home. Shocker. But that also, place is not it's cheap. not an easy place to <laughs> survive, especially as a young person in the current economy. It's just very difficult. But, um, yeah, I took their advice and went home to my mom's house. Like, you know what? Thanks. I was you like, yeah, you're right. I am going to go home. <laughs> I'm going to go find a cave and I'm going to go be creative. And then I'll pop back out of that cave when I got something to show for. Which, it's not necessarily a bad idea. Save money. Yeah. Well, or or just spend less money. Yeah. To, to get what you need to get done. Totally. So, what? Why don't we go way back a little bit and back it up. kind of explain? So Chloe is a fashion designer, um, and that's why you went to New York City. So I'll let you get into that. But why don't we start with like where you grew up, how you got into fashion and art and any of that stuff, and kind of. What led you to um, end up in New York City? Hi, my name is Chloe Schnell. (laughs) (laughs) I was born in San Diego, California. (laughs) Um, Yeah, if you want me to start all the way back from the beginning. um, I mean, whatever details you feel are important in the story. If we're keeping it strictly to fashion, I've been into fashion since I was two. Okay. My mom said that, like, I would throw fits if I didn't dress myself. Like, if she picked an outfit for me, I would, like, not, I just, I remember it being a struggle even when I was, like, just a little kid. But anyway, um, yeah, I've always had this, like, need to express myself, um, which is interesting because a lot of times that's taken as, you know, this obsession with vanity equals, like, you know, being shallow or only focused on the exterior. Hmm. But it's so much more than that for me so I've been also shopping at thrift stores since I was like nine years old and fabric and clothing it all holds energy you know it's like it is a physical thing it makes you feel a certain way when you wear it like or look at it depending on the color and texture um and I think I really first noticed all of those things while thrift store shopping it kind of developed my love for it in a sense because You know, I've been, now I can go to the thrift store and I just like look at, I scan like probably two feet of a rack and just look for the colors or prints or patterns that I like. Cause like, I don't know, it's just very interesting. I also like creating stories for clothes that I find, like something that's really cool. Like, I don't know, some suit from the eighties or like this dress even, this is like eighties prom handmade. I'm like, I wonder who made this. I wonder if it was like, you know, someone's grandma for their, I don't know. Yeah, what was it used for as well? Yeah, was, was it... Was it prom or is it something else? Was it a wedding dress? I don't know. I can make a them... quinceanera? Yeah, <laughs> that would be pink, but... Close you know, enough. Yeah. Maybe I'm colorblind. True. Maybe they were colorblind. Well, <laughs> you're right. I don't know. Yeah. Very senorita, but... Um, it's like a... Like a it's like the salsa dress in the, the emojis thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The girl, yeah. like... That's actually That's the first time I did a photo shoot with this dress. I had her do that move because I wanted to use that emoji it's when so I posted relatable. the picture. <laughs> but so yeah, thrift um, store shopping. Through like your whole process of being creative with fashion, uh, you slowly start to develop like your style and the you that you want to express through clothing. Uh, could you give us a general idea as far as what your look is, what your style, mm. what you gravitate towards? I'm a chameleon. And I always want to be because I think um, just like the same reason I don't pick a favorite color. I mean, for the most part, it's pink, but 
if I stick with one thing too much, I'll end up getting tired with it eventually, especially yeah. with how I externally express myself. Because, you know, with trends and things, people always eventually catch on. And if the whole point of expressing myself in a different way is to be different, then I'm going to be, you know, moving on from these things that I'm finding that Growth. I enjoy. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think the fashion industry is the quickest moving in that sense and you know growth may not be like growth in the fashion industry may not be the best thing just because it's like you know mass produce garbage pretty much but um yeah sorry i keep losing my train of thought I feel like <laughs> <laughs> um yeah fashion yeah fashion yeah okay so y- <laughs> Freedom of fashion. So I'm sure (laughs) some people (laughs) who uh, are watching may not know you. How how long have you been like, like at what point in your in your creative self or fashion self did it take before you were like outwardly wearing things that maybe when you were younger you wouldn't necessarily have worn out like public for example like what you're wearing now is like super cool and expressive but like would you have worn something like that in front of people say when you were in middle school high school like what when was that transition really i think um it was kind of just a gradual build of self-confidence because you you do have to create it for yourself in a sense it's not like you know i just went to school in these crazy outfits and was like I look great and everyone's going to love it because like for the most part you're getting dirty looks because you're trying to be different and people don't like different. They like conforming and normalcy. (laughs) Yeah. Hive mind. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it is kind of like a build thing that, but I started getting more expressive with my clothes and probably when I was like 12 or like middle school. So that time, by the time it was high school and the, fact that I was like already starting to do runway shows and stuff people kind of just knew that that was my thing so and they just weren't questioning it as mm. much yeah I mean um I went to FM Chloe also went to FM so I don't know if she talked about that at all but it's a very um small town type of deal you know everyone dresses the same and and does sports and all these different things and um I always kind of didn't really feel like I fit in with that crowd ever since I moved here from California. I was kind of just like, felt like an alien in a sense. Um, How old were you again? Sorry, you might have said. Yeah, when you no, moved it's okay. Here. I was eight years old when I moved here. Hmm. Okay. So you would have been like close to, if not like middle school. Like yeah, I was in, I yeah. started like, second well, like grade here because I was oh, homeschooled okay. in yeah. first grade and kindergarten. Um, and then. Yeah, that makes sense because you're like five ish when you're in kindergarten. Like Five four, or six. Yeah, so that makes sense. Okay. I've, it seems like such a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm just like, how old are We're you when you're back. in middle school? You're probably like, what, seven? <laughs> no. <laughs> what, are you 12 when you start school? <laughs> I just have no concept of time, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you were eight when you moved here, which isn't necessarily an awkward age because you're still... That's like a little bit before puberty, right? So that's like when shit kind of hits a fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think eight is a very interesting age. It's a very cognitive age. Like you're starting to figure some stuff out. Yeah. You're starting to understand the way, the real way the world works. And you're, you know. Right. For me, it was yeah. kind of like, um, I don't know. I, I would say like when I turned eight, I had some 
some like shocking realizations about the world and about you know even myself as a woman or at that time a girl you know i didn't go through puberty until i was like fucking i don't know 16. (laughs) just kidding it was probably like 14 but anyway um just this shift that i was experiencing of because i've always it's always been me and the boys still is now but like um it's true (laughs) (laughs) with my brother and his friends like it was always me and the boys and like I kind of just saw this shift you know through puberty and like coming into myself as a woman of like not being treated the same anymore you know because like suddenly like my body was a sexual object to the world in a sense not trying to be like you know angry feminist but (laughs) you're not wrong that's kind of how it goes yeah and I mean it's a it's an interesting thing to like comprehend as a young child and it's i think something that maybe boys don't really think about until much older that's kind of forced on girls by age you know whenever their period starts which is crazy was that one of the biggest realizations you had growing up is that how uh society i guess views women in that kind of aspect Um, yes, I think I'm still kind of coming to that realization because even in the fashion world, like the reason I was so drawn to fashion and into it originally is because it felt like empowerment to women, you know, um, the ability to like express yourself however you want and as a designer, make whatever you want and like see it turn into a reality, which is like one of the most beautiful parts of it. Um, but then again, looking at even still what all of the top designers are like the majority of them are men as well and that's you know sexism is still a problem in the fashion industry as well not the not the the whole problem there's a lot of problems with the fashion industry it's funny because every time someone starts a conversation with me or they're like where they say like you know How's the fashion world? I just want to be like, it fucking sucks. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to like. I yeah. hate it. I actually hate the fashion world. Like, for but a while there, I was at a point where I was ready to pull out of it completely because I just didn't even know how it was feasible to be a part of something the way it's currently being run, which is the same industry as the 1980s, essentially. It's all the same, it's just mm-hmm. more and more and more and more and cheaper and right. cheaper. So something that once started as a form of self-expression has become something where it is now like brain control over our society, like the the consumer, it's the consumer and the models and the, the one at the top is the one controlling that entire industry. Is Mm -hmm. that safe to say? Yeah. I mean, it's the same as corporate America. It's the same as all other industries. It's just its own niche of like business. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it kind of like that's what I think ruins fashion is that the business aspect of fashion kind of ruins like what it's meant for. Because in like, a sense, yes, like fast fashion kind of ruins fashion for me because it's like, well, why do I need to like flip my wardrobe like so many times per year? It's like, and who's you wearing all that clothes? Where's all the where mm-hmm. are all those garments going? Landfills. Right? 
Because, like, oh, you don't sell all of them, but you have to, like, move that inventory because mm -hmm. if you let it sit for too long, it's going to be out of fashion or whatever. So I'm actually glad you brought that up because um, recently uh, more and more fast fashion companies are going out of business or losing a lot of business. Um, People can't buy anything. So happy. People can't buy anything. People are finally <laughs> listening. I had a protest at the end of my um, runway show in 2017, and we all chanted, fashion's cool, fashion's fun, fashion is for everyone. And <laughs> <laughs> everyone was holding signs that said things like, you know, support local business, uh, free the nipple, um, uh, you know, dumb stuff like that. But also, um, fuck fast fashion. And fast fashion kills, and no one's 21 forever. Um yeah all of this is very <laughs> it's 21 forever like that one right <laughs> um but if you shop at thrift stores and you've been to any salvation armies lately you'll notice that there is entire racks that are zara sections mm. right now because they literally had nothing else to do with all of that inventory they were just like well it's either going to a landfill or it's going to people in need so Good thing hey, that they well, made the what? good decision on that. If people in need get to wear stylish shit now, I'm about it. I mean, this is the thing though, is I avoid fast fashion <laughs> like the plague. I don't even buy it secondhand. I can't I can't shop the Zara section or Forever like, Twenty One. It's purpose. I like would much from. rather shop clothes that say made USA in the tag and are from at least twenty years ago. Because the way it was made is so much it's gonna last so much longer um, you're not gonna be throwing it away in a day not last. because the buttons are sewn on by machine when you have something that's like you know well made um it'll have there's like this button sewing on technique where you have to like spin around the button six times and then go back it in just assures it stays yeah, yeah that's why you find flannels from like 1985 that the buttons are like still they're still mm. intact, yeah. as it should be, because let's not forget the sewing needle was the third human invention, if you include fire as the, the first human invention, which if you don't, then that would mean it's the second, because clothing is a necessity at the end of the day. It's for, you know, protection, warmth, um, sports, depending on whatever it is you may be doing. Yeah, you I know? mean, I would say... It's a very small population of people that believe that they should just go about their life naked. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm well, not even judging. they still wear clothes <laughs> in, in certain circumstances. So, yeah. like one way or another, clothes is an important part of everyone's life, one way or another. You know? Yeah, like you know, think about trying to go scuba diving in a snowsuit. Or, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, vice versa. I mean, I guess you could go skiing in a scuba suit because people have started doing that more. But <laughs> Probably better wind resistance. Yeah. And it'd be pretty Just warm. Just wear a skin suit <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like ra ski racers wear pretty tight, like, skin suits, so I guess it's similar. Yeah, that's But it's I'm not saying. rubber. <laughs> yeah. It's probably warmer. Mm. Wow. <laughs> This is a very interesting just Well, that's <laughs> another thing that interests me a lot is textile science and just like, you know, what goes into the creation of these new textiles that are for, you know, purposes. Um, I mean, I'm hoping to eventually like be able to manufacture my own fabrics and um, 
I don't know, put whatever I want into them. Because you can weave True. whatever you want into fabrics, mm. essentially. Like, so what what is your thought on, like, hemp fabrics for clothes? Is that, like, a good way to go or is that too totally. expensive or like what I, I don't know too much about like hemp being used for clothes so oh this would be so I I can't say I know too much about it either you probably know but more than me <laughs> I am all for you know natural fibers they breathe better they're more comfortable um, a lot of people have skin reactions to synthetic fibers because at the end of the day especially these sportswear companies like Under Armour and stuff they just keep making their materials cheaper and cheaper essentially so like the circumference of the actual fiber width that's woven in will get smaller and oh to save mm. costs and like the types of plastics or whatever it is that they're using in the material will also you know change and it's just you can feel the quality difference i've been um working at my parents shop like since i was young and I remember even five years ago, the Under Armour being much better. I probably shouldn't be like specifically talking shit about a brand. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Am I gonna get who, care, who cares about the big business? Uh, yeah, true. You know, they, they got bigger fish to, or whatever, bigger problems. Then. Bigger fish to fry. I've, uh, I've always been curious say. about this, but um, the difference between natural threads and synthetic, like how exactly do they make synthetic fabrics? Are you familiar with it? The think process. Of, so, think of like a meat grinder, like like a sausage maker, on a very very small scale. Okay. So like it's plastics and stuff that's being what, basically smelted? melted together and then pulled out of this thing like a filament, and okay. then that filament is woven into the materials. So one strand would almost look like um, maybe fishing line, mm-hmm. the, yeah. like a plasticky. That's how you get like, yeah, that's how you get like the stretchy like like the the jeggings of the world or where it's like mm. super oh, that's stretchy and shit yeah, yeah it's but it's always woven together it's not like when they make a piece of fabric it's like some flat pressed piece of pl- plastic well um vinyl is like that um but they usually have a woven back and when i say woven it can also be knitted which is just a different style of okay. how, how they like how it's going whatever together. the pattern is exactly the stitching yeah um but yeah so vinyl i think it's painted on i don't want to say for sure but Mm -hmm. there's usually a woven back and then um the other side is like the right side it's like fake leather you know but it um it always has that that like um like a backing fabric backing yeah so that it has some sort of something to grab onto um yeah, textile science was one of my favorite classes in school because we sat in a science lab and lit things on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, where did where did you go to school for the people listening? I went to FIT in Ooh. Manhattan and uh, was there 2016 to 2018. Um, very interesting time to be in New York because it was when Trump got elected. Oof. It was <laughs> such a dark Great. and dreary day that Everyone's day. Everyone's favorite four years. <laughs> I wish I could have been there like this election because I saw a video someone took from a rooftop of just like the sounds of people cheering when oh, the election after, went yeah. through. Because it was not that feeling in 2016. Oh no, I had friends. Everyone, crying. it was raining. Yeah, there was like people, random people on the street like crying. It was oh oh god, yeah. what a day. Yeah, it was an interesting time. Those four years <laughs> are over. 
for now. And uh, FIT is pretty liberal, right? I would assume. No, actually. Interesting. Um, I was expecting, and this is my own fault, but I was expecting to go there and find like my mutuals or other people who were like, you know, over the top expressing themselves and super creatives and stuff like that. Um, which I did find, you know, here and there, but I guess I was expecting more so for it to be like my whole class. And, um, there was still only a select few kids who would like dress up for school, not dress up in like a sense that they were wearing like suits or anything, but you know, like put effort into, yeah, put effort into your appearance because self-expression in my, in my idea of it is self-love. And, you know, some people would show up to school with, like, sweatsuits on and... Um, like sweatpants. You're like, you remember you're in hoodie. fashion school, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, I would be totally fine with it if it was, like, someone's, like, sweatshirt, sweatsuit drop or something. And right. it was, like, a friend's, you know, brand or something. But you could tell it was just these people, like, got out of bed and came to class. Which, you know, whatever, I... So as far as yeah. um, control other people, but I was just like, this is fashion school. What? <laughs> yeah, I, just, I I can totally see what you're where you're coming from though, because it's like you're there to. And I'm in know, Manhattan. Set, set yourself to a different standard, right? Like you want to be seen as a fat fashion expert or whatever, and. Instead, they like, were taking if, pictures of me and writing shit about me on the internet. Hey, it's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> whatever, like. You'll oh, probably end up being more successful than them anyways, so... That's fair, I guess. Welcome. <laughs> True. But as far as, like, the culture goes, was most of the people there designers? Or were they, like, business people? Or, like... FBM major is definitely the biggest one, which is fashion business management. Um, so they were trying to be, like, the head honcho in control of the industry, like, con- owning the company, and then uh, the designers would... I guess, I don't, I don't know how it works. But. I would say more so it's the designer who's the top. Like, oh, the okay. designer's it's the head. their vision, right? Yeah. That would run and that business. the designer, <clears throat> like me, usually doesn't have a lot of business knowledge because, you know, the whole point of it being set up the way it is is so the designer can kind of just, like, express and be the artist. And let and someone else take care of the... The, the logistics shit, yeah. yeah okay um and that is another thing that i noticed while i was there is it's very divided based on department and um major like michelle my friend i went to school with her at the same time and i never met her while we were both there how big is fit by the way it's w- within one block and it's all just like how many students would you say roughly oh, i don't know Pff, i don't mm. know like exact thousands numbers. hundreds I don't know. Do you want me to look it up? <laughs> I'm actually can't, well. I can't look it up with my phones. I was just curious. I'm trying to get like a. Yeah, I don't know for sure. Hey Jamie, bring it up on the laptop. <laughs> yeah, I wish we had a, an actual person. Dude, that's that's the future when we have someone who can spit that knowledge. Like, oh, thanks. A personal assistant. <laughs> yeah. Some AI. Yeah. Yes. Well, after looking through ten years of data. Yeah, because an AI would look like this. Amount, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty oh sure the whole God. point of AI is that we're not supposed to even know like that it's AI. It's like Facebook Big is AI. Watching. Yeah. What? What? What's what? AI? <laughs> What'd you just say? You want to say that again for the people? <laughs> Sorry, should I not pound on the table with the mics on? No, it's fine. Um, Whatever. I said Facebook is AI. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yep. That it's sh- already happening. Like well, we're living in it. That's why like, we're just gonna us. have to accept. I was telling you last night. I think that the I government we're the, talking about conspiracies that the government finally is putting out lawsuits against Facebook to break them up, like antitrust lawsuits hey. against Facebook, which mm. means once they go, a lot of other ones are gonna start getting probed. Oh yeah, I saw that, and um, I was watching like stuff about stocks. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Can and I just give you guys some context? <laughs> Andy and Kyle love to talk about stocks. It's just all the time. One time, I was Economics, in a meditative state, and I woke up, and Andy was there, standing over me, laughing. And then, what more did he get into but talking about stocks? So take it away. It's actually called. St- I'm gonna have nothing to contribute to this conversation. Stonks. Stonks. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, they're basically saying how the stock market has potential crashing because of the antitrust things going on, Ooh. and that's where all the big money is. It's technology, mm. and so if these corporations get broken up, people are getting fearful. They're gonna want to pull from these uh, markets. <clears throat> I mean, I so. think in the end of the day the world kind of goes in one direction and then at some point it kind of reaches a, a stopping point where all it takes is one little thing and it kind of brings it all back down to Domino reality. Effect. Yeah. But I think that's good. Like as shitty as it will be in the aftermath of anything like that, I think what it allows is for everyday people to kind of have a say in like how things go. Support forward. local business. Exactly. Mm. So yeah. like, what we're seeing is a rejection of big corporate everything because that's how our country is our country's Finally. world has run. <laughs> but what we're realizing, I'm hearing it more and more, not even just with like hippy dippy like crunchy granola people, but just in general. Like That's us. Yeah, we're the hippy dippy <laughs> country granola people. Uh, and Chloe. She can vouch for but it. But like more and more people I hear agree that we as a society need to function more as small scale societies within, you know, a larger landmass as opposed to one big moving society that's run by a few people that don't even fucking care about us. Yep. <laughs> this actually wraps around into what I see as like the vision for Syracuse. I just see everything turning back to local. I mean, again, mm-hmm. that's already starting, I think, with um, what's happening at Wildflowers and yeah um mccarthy mercantile and all that stuff yeah obviously it's gonna take a while before but um, the fact that it's you're we're seeing it happen like slowly each year i've been back it's been like all right something new like you can see like a revitalization of the city in in a sense and on a psychological level i feel like it's a lot better for us in our well-being because you actually get recognized and valued for Mm -hmm. the skills and trades that you have totally as opposed to getting lost in the sea of like fucking everyone in america well you know what's interesting outside of cities like la chicago like the you know the big the big time cities that we all think of when we think of cities all these other cities in in the country really their purpose served back in the early 1900s when the industrial like like we're hitting peak industrial revolution stuff like um technology's booming cars start to become a thing Mm -hmm. and like Syracuse, for example, the only reason Syracuse was a legitimate large city at the time is because of the salt market. We had mm-hmm. we were the number one manufacturer of salt in the world. And that's, that's fucking sick. But the second salt didn't need to be mined out of Syracuse to get salt, 
Syracuse became obsolete. And it's just like, okay, so now what? What is what well, is this? Also the city lake do? getting polluted. Well like, that too. That used to be a major spot for wealthy people from the city yeah, to tourism. come up and have like, you know, a resort getaway on the lake. Yeah. <laughs> we ain't got shit like that anymore. <laughs> we yeah, just now got a we bunch just of got mutated fish. Yeah. And, and we and like the other thing is the whole waterfront is roads now. Mm-hmm. Like the only it thing used to be like a whole board. There's like like a carnival and shit there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It what what's nice though is that we're seeing a more progressive mayor and uh, county executive working together to make something like Onondaga Lake worthwhile for people to come with the um, the park loop going around, and they're gonna finish that sometime in the next year or two. And he's the one w- working with Mike to allow all of this like progressive like localization to happen in Syracuse. Yeah, and we're talking about uh, awesome. uh, Michael, Michael John, John Haggerty, who's been on the show for anyone listening who doesn't know. But Shouts all these out like to Michael John, yeah, all these like doing shit. small community spaces that he's like creating. Like when COVID hit, to be able to move all the restaurants out to the streets, Outside. yeah, to like have people to, come in, right? yeah. And you know? they, none of those restaurants had any like infrastructure to make that happen then maybe they had some tables they could put outside but at some point it's like people are going out to dinner for the experience so if you're just throwing them on the sidewalk and it's not really appealing you know how it looks there's not like you're just like you gotta sit outside now (laughs) like you gotta you know spruce it up for people and it's it's really cool that he was able to really like take over armory square in a sense like I didn't all realize the, that was him. That's awesome. Yeah, all yeah. Of those like, what was it? Possibilities. Um, Kitty Hoyne, um, and then Walt. Uh, uh, what was it Fri- Saturdays on what Fridays <coughs> on Walton? Hmm. So Walton Street is. It's kind of like Armory Square was built by the same uh, developer who built um, Church Street in Burlington. Anyone who's familiar, I didn't and know Church that. Street hmm. is um, two rows that intersect. Um, it's, so it's a big like big square of downtown Burlington, but one section, one road of, of Church Street is not for driving at all. You can only walk on it. <clears throat> and the idea is that bringing this whole idea of like shutting down Walton Street on Fridays and letting people like walk around on the streets, go outside, eat, whatever, is hopefully leading to a point where you can't drive on those streets anymore. And that it's strictly going to be reclaimed by being able to walk, ride your bike, that kind of stuff. It'll really be like the early 1900s when people mm. were just crossing yeah. the street willy-nilly because there was not that many cars going by. Right. And so also with 81 being taken out of the center of the city and turned into more of a... so. The what? Pl- yeah. So oh my gosh. for the longest time, they've been talking about how 81 really ruined the demographic of what Syracuse looks like and how our communities interact with each other, how it was really rooted in like a, a backwards type segregation mindset to like push people of color and minorities away from the affluent areas of the city. Wow. And so where 81 is used to be where predominant african-american uh communities were and they basically forced them all to like move elsewhere so they built like giant complexes and um projects for these people to move yeah really fucked up so the idea is that well one 81 is like crumbling right now like the bridges and stuff in syracuse haven't been touched in years so they're like we have to either completely 
remake these, which based on the Department of Transportation, they would have to actually widen the roads, therefore claiming even more property to Ugh. so they're like we don't want to do that because we already hate how much space th this takes up and how much problems how many problems it's caused so what other other options do we have so one was building a tunnel underneath the city which could have been cool but I also like subway let's be real like one how much traffic's really going through syracuse and two um how long would that really And take? it's super expensive. Yeah, so the, the option that they're going with is a grid system. So basically, once you come into the city limits, it becomes a... It's kind of like what Erie Boulevard looks like. If you go out towards, like, East Syracuse or whatever, it's, like, two lanes with, like, a divider in the middle, but it's not a highway, you know? So it's ground ground level. There's no bridges we and all, all this crazy shit. We all know people are going to be speeding, like, mm. crazy down that anyway. So... But also what they're going to add, like bike lanes, things that you see over by Syracuse University. So that's their plan is they're going to take out all of the bridges and basically all that uh, all traffic trying to go north or south um, will be diverted to 481 until you can get north of the city and then they'll put you back onto 81. Hmm. So that's the plan. I don't know what's going to happen, but the reason I'm talking about this is because it's really going to change what Syracuse looks like. Yeah. Like mm. whether when it comes to business, like everything, like like I was saying, the salt market left, Syracuse becomes obsolete. Like what the, what else does Syracuse have besides the university, a bunch of law firms? The dome. <laughs> you know, like we don't, <laughs> we don't really have like anything crazy happening here that is really drawing, anything. But now that Amazon just moved to Liverpool, whether or not I agree with it, we have a massive, you know distribution center there brings in a lot of money that that's gonna bring a lot of jobs and also it's gonna make it more appealing for a business to want to move to syracuse because having something like amazon be able to get you shit you need faster right there. Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a no-brainer mm -hmm. so mm. it'll be interesting to see in the next five ten years really where syracuse sits in terms of like what is bringing people here yeah Totally. There's um, going to be more opportunity for everyone, too, I think. Just I think it's really great that we're starting this now because I think by the time those opportunities are available, we'll already, like, have, you know, uh, I guess sturdy ground in, like, what we're doing or no knowing what, you know, needs to happen. To and we have the mm -hmm. network, right? We, mm -hmm. We've already been here it's small scale enough where everyone knows everyone mm -hmm. and we can actually make an impact if we wanted to like band together and do something yeah for exactly. cool for syracuse and i think that's a big issue in a lot of places especially somewhere like new york where there's so many people this sense of inclusivity and like let's do this together doesn't really vibe or click because there's so many people trying to do the same shit that it becomes more of like a i need to be better than these people if i want to get anywhere mm -hmm. whereas like here with less people there's more of an equal playing field where like you can be a fashion designer we can be you know a lifestyle brand and like we're not conflicting with each other's progress if anything we can help collaborate with each other and mm -hmm. like bring each other up mm -hmm. um so i i don't know like i think it'd be cool like kind of guinea pig experiment to see like how a city like a mid-tier city like syracuse could really like <clears throat> become prominent again in like the the eyes of the countries of the world and in ways that actually bring value 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. not just some big corporation taking over. Like and a grassroots yeah. movement of the local people really reclaiming the city. Because for the longest time, people just shit on this place. Yeah, I mean, they still will, and they still do. It's This is what I've realized about locals to Syracuse. Instead of having small talk, everyone complains to each other. That's just mm. how people talk to each other. Because there's always something to complain about with the weather being so crazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That is, that is one thing. Which I guess still is small talk at the end of the day. But What is interesting to me, though, with global warming happening winters here are going to become questionable like look at it right now it's what december what 12th 11th pretty warm outside and i played disc golf today in like a t-shirt and there's no snow on the ground it looks like it it felt like it's like i don't know march (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. so it's very interesting to see like how that affects everything Maybe it makes it more of an ideal place for people to go because winters aren't going to be as shitty. But also, with people, there's going to be mass migrations of people from out west moving towards the east because it's dry out there. Resources are being depleted. It's too many people. And New York specifically is a very uh, hot spot for people to want to move because we have a lot of untapped resources here. So. Mm-hmm. Um, It'd be interesting to see if Syracuse becomes a higher populous city in the next oh, totally. ten years. Just I have no doubt happening. about that. I have no doubt that Syracuse is going to grow. Um, I know that like there's been multiple efforts among different industries of trying to bring like tourism back to Syracuse because, um, I mean, you were saying we don't have anything here. I think that's a lie. <laughs> because like especially with all of the small businesses well yeah like nothing nothing lately. like uh big tier like major brands happening here right now yeah not yet because right. they're just starting now but maybe that's a good thing maybe that's not a bad thing you know yeah so i think this is the the question that i've been asking myself because as a designer i've always dreamed of owning a fashion studio or like a fashion house you know being able to um, have a team, a seamstress team, and um, pattern makers, and you know, be able to do the sketching and um, you know, send it to people who I trust and who I pay right and who I talk to and communicate with one, like you know, person to person. Because, right. like, I don't know if I want to get to a scale where I have so much to deal with that I can't have those types of interactions because. You know, um, making garments isn't fun or easy, and obviously, um, what really what really pains me is that some of the world's greatest seamstresses will probably never know their names, because they're just working in some factory somewhere yep. in Bangladesh or in China, and um, just doing what someone else told them to make. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't know um, the full extent of. Um, you know, social, cultural norms in those places. Um, but you can definitely almost guarantee that it's, for women, sometimes their first job, especially, like, s- places like Bangladesh, like... At a young age, right? Yeah, and if you're starting your job for the first time as a woman in a country that's maybe not as progressed in that sense, like, you're going to listen to the man because you have to, or else you're gonna lose your job and you don't have a way of you know, sending money back to your family or making money for yourself or whatever it may be. Even though that money that they're making is like, you know, sometimes cents an hour, if even. 
Um, yeah. But to them, that's better than not getting paid, you know? I mean, I exactly. guess that's the same anywhere, but, like, for them especially because of the wages being so low, it's, like... It's been very, very difficult to try and figure out how to ethically and sustainably begin a brand because that's kind of, like, what put me in this place of feeling stuck, in a sense, um, after learning about the truths of the industry and the actual negative sides and how how negatively the fashion world affects the entire world, not just in a humanitarian standpoint from pollution and, you know, um, just pushing the corporate agenda in a sense. Like, yeah, and, like, how it affects, like, in terms of uh, the working conditions in these places. Oh, my God, don't even get me started. There was, so... Um, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, we're obviously, like, how much they pay their workers is one thing and that's really messed up when United States companies outsource to these places knowing full well that the reason they're doing it is because it's cheap as fuck mm. but it's like these people could like die Some there of these was people a could warehouse in die. Bangladesh that was known to be unstable they knew that the structure of the building was not sound they still sent over a thousand people to work there every day duh one day the building ended up collapsing on, its, on itself with all of the workers inside and it was a it was an H and M warehouse, and they were able to just kind of like brush it under the rug in the American media because people were still buying H and M, and even though like essentially a mini nine eleven happened in another country, it's like, well, everything's good in America still, so you know. Well, it, yeah, that it's fucked up. I mean, that's true with a lot of like messed up shit. Like even we are very like, privileged. All as Americans, we unless, are privileged. Unless it has to do directly with American interests, we don't care. Or at least the media doesn't care to share it with people. Yeah, it's very interesting. Is I was um, actually Charlie the other day put on not the other day it was back when the election stuff was happening, but he put on French TV and they were talking about the American election. I'm just like, why? Are, why does America see themselves as like this bratty little teenage girl who gets whatever they want? Because it's like we're stealing all the attention and like. I think, it's, I think it's because... Everyone's nervous about what we're going to do because we're just, like, basically this giant baby that's like, well, I'm going to take whatever yeah. I want. America turned into... <laughs> well, one, with our military dominance, kind of makes it hard to not, like, pay attention to what we're doing because we can yeah, fuck terrifying. some people up. But also, like, in the last four years, we turned our entire government into a reality TV show because <laughs> we thought that would be a great idea. And so... Now it's like, all right, you have a ton of military power and you have a reality TV star as your president. What else could go wrong? <laughs> Just Apparently like, a lot. Well, <laughs> hopefully we can kind of take 10 steps back in the next four years, hopefully. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about, like, effect of COVID on, on like, artistry and, and all of that? Because mm, I feel yeah. like this is something that so, a lot of other artists could connect with. What's, um, you want to talk about your experience with it and how it's affected, like, your art and then kind of, like, I guess, where you see things going, being affected with everything? Yeah. Um, so I definitely um, kind of went into survival mode when this all first started happening. Um, as with most most of us yeah. yeah and that was kind of yeah a common theme for a lot of people but survival mode doesn't really allow for creativity or for that like flow state of mind because you kind of have to be more of like an abundance mindset or just like 
you know, letting things come to you. And if there's certain walls up, like stagnant, you know, fear or like trying whatever to just pay it your may bills. be. Yeah. Exactly. Get food. Exactly. Which, um, sorry, there's like a hair in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I was, you know, kind of getting down on myself a bit because it was like, ugh, I have all of this free time. Like, when am I ever going to have all this free time again? But I can't bring myself to have the you know ideas or the motivation or whatever it may be to actually just sit down and do it like I try and then my mind is like running and you know sometimes you hit this like lovely flow where like your mind can be running but you're also doing work yeah but to find even that state of mind through the pandemic especially with just like you know new news every day about different things going on it well, was you were unemployed at the time right when this all hit? I had almost four jobs when the right pandemic hit. hit yeah. Right before? Mm-hmm. Okay. I lost uh, three of them, and then one I tried to stay on for a little bit, but it was just like the hours were not cutting it, and it made more sense for me to be on unemployment because I was getting like 10 hours a week to try and stretch out making Instagram posts for the job that I had. And you were getting paid the stimulus, too, so making more because you were unemployed, right? Yeah. yeah. For At least for that time being. Which, even looking back, um, I could have been even making more because uh, there were some weeks that instead of um, being able to, like, get through to the unemployment, the pandemic unemployment assistance, it would just go back to the same waiting momentarily page. And oh, I would man. reload it every time, and it would just, you know, it would either reload back to the same waiting momentarily or go to the little like you know dinosaur guy of like it's not working <laughs> yeah um that could just be our wi-fi i don't believe it nah. i'm so i'm no. such a Dude, cons- I, conspiracy person what i is didn't the word get unemployed like, conspiracist it could, yeah well what is that conspiracist is that how you say it i don't know <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> no it's, it it's just conspiracy theorist okay because you're a theorist if you're Mm. theorizing but like i i didn't get unemployed during the pandemic i got furloughed for two weeks while i was working at digital hive and even as a furloughed employee so i'm not even claiming like unemployment or anything i'm just like i get benefits because i was furloughed and as long as your company is furloughing you doesn't deny you getting them Cause like I'm pretty sure when you file it out, you have to say you're getting furloughed, and then they reach out to your business and say like you have an employee who's filing for furlough. Is this true or not? And are you going to accept or reject it? And they said we're not going to reject it. I still haven't gotten that money, and that was in April. It's December. It might be a year before I actually get that money. So I'm like, not surprised. Honestly, it was. Like, we just weren't prepared for it. <laughs> I think that after they approved the $600 a week, they realized like, that the majority of people barely make that. And so that all of these people are going to start making that and be like, whoa, this is what I can do for not doing anything. Mm. I and don't like, need to look for a job now. <laughs> but what bothers me about this perception of like people being lazy and sitting on their asses and doing nothing, it's like, these are people that have been working so much, so hard, all the time, to barely even make six hundred dollars a week. Like that should show that there's something right. wrong here. It's like right. I was working four jobs and barely making that, and now I don't have to work a single job and I'm getting that for doing nothing. It's like what the fuck? The wage gap is absolutely disgusting. 
Yeah. Call me a socialist, but mm. the wage gap is disgusting. Even in our own country. It's and yeah. our country is all. the richest. So yeah. us in comparison to everyone else, no shit we're taking advantage of advantage of other countries, you know, like yeah. Bangladesh mm. and China and these places where cheap <coughs> labor is not necessarily okay, but it happens. Well, it's really comes down to major corporations i mean i'm sure there's still wage gaps when it comes to small business too like some business owners definitely just don't have the best interest of their employees in mind but Mm -hmm. when you look at big business anyone who's publicly traded as a company the number one most important thing for every business year over year is increasing shareholder profits so they want to make sure yeah they want to make sure that everyone who's investing in them gets a gain on their investment year over year because they want to make them stay because they need their money to do whatever the fuck they want to do. Mm-hmm. So inadvertently, that causes them to care more about the shareholder than their actual employee. Yep. So it's actually like for some people, it's actually like a better idea to just invest in these companies and not work for them because you'll probably make more money off invest if you have the money to invest so it's like fuck and that's the issue it's a conundrum you mm-hmm. know it's and that's like, how like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer because all the rich people are investing in these companies to yeah. make more money off mm-hmm. doing nothing and so the just... poor can barely get enough money to survive so obviously they're not gonna have any money for savings yeah you know so. soup kitchens can't even open right now to full capacity is it because of covid or mm-hmm. because the money is not there because of covid soup kitchens can't have the full amount of staff and they're only able to do like to go things so people mm. can't even sit anymore and catch a moment in the warm and have a hot meal they have to mm-hmm. take it to go back outside to yeah. wherever shit it's really it's, it's just a crazy time just, like but this is the thing is like it's just an over exaggerated version of what's always been happening just because right. there's more people, more there's money, more added. billionaires in the world. Like, it's all yeah. the same shit. There's just more. There's just, and, you know, we're drowning in our own material goods that we're creating for ourselves. Like, yeah. we need to change soon. That's another thing, too, is, like, the consumer with that mindset is about, like, buying material goods, which increases the wage gap, or not the wage gap, but, like, the, um, the, the, the financial gap because... You have these big corporations that are like managing money, putting their money that they have extra to investments. And then the consumer is not knowledgeable about like how to invest and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they are pouring all their money back into like buying these goods and stuff from the corporations. So they're investing in the wrong things. Yeah. They have Mm -hmm. like the money that where they could be like instead of buying Dunkin Donuts every day for like three months straight, if you just like even cut that in half. And use that money that you would have bought Duncan and put it into invest investments. Yeah. You would actually make more money off that. Like, obviously. but I get it though. I get it yeah. because it's like when you're in that state of uh, existing as a consumer that's like barely making enough enough to right. survive. You're like, oh well, I'm fucking stressed out. I just want to go get a coffee. And so mm-hmm. you're in like the mm-hmm. scarcity mindset where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I know it's just a short term. Uh, yeah, it's short-term fix. fix yeah. But it's like, I need it to get by because exactly. I'm struggling so much. That's also the issue I have with, like, trying to find a way to be sustainable. Um, like, it's not the practice of practical. sustainability, you need to have enough money to be able to even begin being sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, fast food and all of that is is supporting 
you know, people with large families who, you know, have a long day at work and then need a quick meal at the end of the day for them and their three, four kids or whatever it may be, you know? I think, uh, sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. It's it's just um, like as a fashion brand trying to learn how to be sustainable, it's like even when it comes down to shipping, it's almost impossible because I'm going to have to think about the garbage from the boxes that I'm sending out or yeah, what, the plastic what bags. What are your packing materials? Mm-hmm. That you have using. to literally think about everything, even down to the cutting of the fabrics because those scraps usually just get thrown on the floor, brushed into garbage cans, and then sent off to landfills as well. So it's not just the the garments themselves that are causing this pollution it's actual garment production like you know those giant fabric knives where they like cut the fabric like cut like you know hundreds of of layers of fabric all of those scrap pieces just get tossed are not used Mm -hmm. and they could be turned into something right so frustrating do you have any ideas (laughs) of how to be more sustainable oh i mean it's happening now i think it's a whole honestly kind of revolution in fashion going on right now just putting things is that what back up- together yeah upcycling i mean it's interesting because a few years ago i probably would have been like you know i was kind of against just like uh, i don't know upcycling things um just because having shopped at thrift stores my whole life, I kind of saw it as like, oh, well, you know, you probably just got that from Salvation Army and then got like and then you just flip some it or fabric something. paint. Yeah. But now that's what I do to make money. So mm-hmm. also, um, I've been, you know, more so enjoying that people are paying attention to and enjoying that look of kind of like crazy prints because it's all from different fabrics yeah. or... Um, I, over the summer, made um, a couple t-shirt dresses that were, you know, original designs, but they were all just old t-shirts, and that I want to keep running with, because I have, you know, now I know Drew, and also my parents both do screen printing, and there's always mess-ups. There's always, you know, the the t-shirts that they use as, like, the stuff to wipe things off of other things, and a little ink is like spots here and there that's not going to matter if you're cutting it up and putting it together some other way anyway Mm -hmm. like and that's the look that people are going leaning more towards now so you know like finally we're getting out of the basic bitch phase and i'm so excited everyone's (laughs) gonna start dressing crazy again i was like i was even thinking like for example i've made pillows for myself that are just out of shirts I don't wear. Because mm-hmm. you can just go to a craft store and get some, like, cotton and then just... As long as you know how I've to seen, sew. I've seen it all. I've seen uh, t-shirts be turned into quilts. I've seen quilts be turned into sweatsuits. It's like, you know, there's this one girl that I follow on Instagram who makes all of her clothes out of just, like, bed sheets. I'm pretty sure. But they have, like, huge, like, cool prints of, like, Pikachu and Hello oh, Kitty. Hell yeah. And, you know, she all she does is just like make the same pattern of like the same style of pants and crop top and just hat. some different materials mm-hmm. it's not is, a bad idea it's not i'm so i'm like in the process of getting to a place where i can start doing things like that um i have to kind of just like you know sit down and go for it one day at my machine but getting again getting to that point is difficult you know right. you know what it's like sewing some days you're just not in the mood. <laughs> mm. Like it's tedious. I would prefer not to sew 
as much as possible. But since I chose a career where <laughs> to start out, I have to kind of, you know, yeah. be able to know how to put things together. Right. If I'm going to be sending things out to manufacturers, Quality I need to control. know. Mm -hmm. you I, can't. I need to know. Yeah. But and eventually you just want to be the designer that is hiring on seamstresses, right? Yes. Um, as ethically as possible. My dream, like when this all comes together would be to hire um, mostly women affected by, negatively affected by the garment district prior, mm. or just the garment To give them production. like a new sense of, of meaning in that industry. Just to kind of be able to like, because so I also want all of my employees to have a photo and a bio on my website. Um, so nice. you can kind of like, know you know, making the shit. then <laughs> when I, do tags the person can sign their name in the tag and you can go online and you can see you can meet the person who made your clothes so this is a cool mm. concept um so i work for stickly furniture and every piece of furniture that they make gets hand stamped and signed by every single person who touched that piece of furniture wow. i love that and like they don't have bios for everyone because they have thousands of employees well, but, yeah, but still even that sense is like that name is now going to live on that piece of furniture for generations well not only that it's like recognition yeah like because it's recognition the for the work done right. because i don't care if if sewing is seen as a housewife thing to do it's the same thing as architecture it's garment you're architecture. Yeah. You're creating something that has to start with some sort of structure to be able to last and be durable and right. wearable. It's way more of a masculine task than it's mm. portrayed as, which is so interesting to me. And I think this is also something I was I was talking about um, recently. This like I have like <laughs> generational trauma from like housewife duties. Like I don't enjoy doing the dishes or cleaning or you know being forced to, I guess, cook if I don't want to. Because mm -hmm. I do love cooking, don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but like... It's like that being put inside of a box. Yeah, it's like, like because I'm a woman, I'm behind a sewing machine. When, yeah. there, when there's an expectation or someone else's expectation put on you to do anything, you're, exactly. like, you're less likely to yeah, be inclined that. to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, which is something that I'm trying to grow out of because, um, you know... I I envy talented seamstresses. I mean, I know how to, but I could always develop my construction skills better. Um, and, you know, it's always about progressing, working towards building your craft, being better at your craft. And as much as I don't like sewing as a small part of it, one of my favorite things to do is draping and pattern making. So it's like, okay, it's like, you know, devil and angel. It's like, mm. okay, I love this side of it. I love drawing the sketch. I love doing the concept and coming up with, you know, um, even like thinking through what the shapes of the dress pattern is going to look like prior to actually doing the pattern making. One of my favorite parts of it. It's like, mm. I feel like an architect, you know, mm. I'm like, so if I were to take this dress apart inside out and backwards, what would the individual pieces look like to allow me to create this and construct it into an actual real garment? Yeah. Also a real garment that has to be put on, which is something that I forgot to think about sometimes. <laughs> 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 One of my school projects yeah, who's is gonna this wear dress. This? <laughs> well, I mean, 
I will say, um, for this school project, it was only going to stay on the mannequin, so it wasn't really at the forefront of my mind to think about, like, putting it on an actual person. But shouts out to Alamo Mora. Thank you so much for wearing this dress for me multiple times because it is a bitch to put on. <laughs> like, the side seam zipper, I had it very, it's like a fitted mermaid dress, and um, the zipper starts here, and it goes, like, all the way down to essentially your knee because I did this, like, I wove a burlap for that dress. It was supposed to be the concept of the past 100 years of fashion, so, like, starting with... Um, 1910, 1920. For the 1930s era, I wove my own burlap and painted it red just to match mm -hmm. the dress. But it was very like. Oh, so they were like stiff. in sections. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I could show you a picture of it. But um, I think I actually showed you a picture of it yesterday. You probably did, but like, you didn't <laughs> tell you didn't tell me like the you know the backstory behind yeah, it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's very sturdy and stiff, and like to get into it, you have to like step in the bottom and then like. <laughs> come out the side but then like shimmy it up it's because i don't know so you need hole. like actual like assistance getting that on you need assistance getting on all of my garments <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like yeah. well because disclaimer like, think about it. <laughs> comes with personal assistance <laughs> <laughs> this is why i need to start ready to wear because i need to start thinking about actual like how to make it like functional for just like everyday yeah everyday wear yeah. um that's i mean I love the drama of a fashion show. So that's mm. what I like to focus on just because it's like fun. You can be as expressive as you want. Well, you isn't that kind of like the purpose there. is like you do the fashion show to show like the most extreme, like just creative output of what that idea is. And then like you have to refine it into a more of a, just like a everyday wearable thing to kind of that way to make like actual funds off yeah, of the idea. Definitely. Yes and no because there's um um I don't know if you saw that meme of Jared Leto where he like is at a Gucci show and he sees the suit and he's like and then the next photo is him at a award show wearing, wearing it. it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's there, like that happens that but too. that you have to be like a high end like already well known designer for that to be a likely thing to happen. Right. Um yeah, like I was just looking actually today <laughs> at one of my favorite designers um ready to wear collection Andre Karej. He was a designer, he was like a 60s space age designer, so he's, you know, not around anymore. But the the ready-to-wear version of his style is still somehow, I don't know how they do it, but it's still somehow reminiscent of 60s fashion, but it's still modernized, um, which I think is um, really also an interesting thing about the fashion world is you know, when people take over for these brands that have a person's name as the the brand name, it's like, how could you, you know, imagine being put in that place where it's like, okay, you know, you have to take over now for Alexander McQueen. Like, hmm. whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, that you're, would be amazing. That would be a dream come true. Running, but, you know. like, being able to tap into a mindset that, a mind that was so beautifully dark and interesting and thought of things so differently in in a radical way like being able to get in touch with that it's almost like um i don't know how would how would you how would you ever yeah. be able to top that in a sense it's like you, no one is ever going to be them right and unless you were like a in, i would say like the person who would be best suited would be someone who was around that person enough to know 
Exactly, that which insight. is why his one of his like closest colleagues slash I think his like best friend or whatever took over for him. But then even with that, there's no progression there. It's just you're trying to copy right. what has already mm-hmm. been. And then it's like if I go off the beaten path to do something that I think would be cool, is that like going be against? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, is this going against what he would have done? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a yeah. That would be a, a lot of pressure to be in that position for sure. Which is why I kind of. I'm not going to lie. I didn't really like Carl Lagerfeld that much. Um, I think the last good he did for Chanel was maybe the 80s and 90s. Um, because just more recently, Chanel has been so over the top and color poppy and all of these crazy things. Like, obviously, they always keep the classic tweed suit because it's Chanel. You got to do that. But I just feel like... Coco was just like turning in her grave, like no, seeing yeah. all of these things of <laughs> just like over the top. I don't know, not not very. It was like it was like um, well, because Carl Lagerfeld was known for doing this thing called cool hunting, which is what um, big name designers do. They go to places like Harlem, or now they'd probably go to places like Brooklyn, and just watch the people passing by and sit there and yeah like or do do sketches for their next collection based off of the people that they're watching walk by on the street that's honestly a good idea it is a good idea but it's also like made me feel like when i was in new york like i was just like as soon as i step foot outside of my house my ideas can be taken off my body that sucks and I felt like I watched it happen, too. As weird as it is, like, Jeremy Scott did multiple collections that were very similar to the things that I was both putting out and dressing like while in my At time the in the city. At the same time, yeah. Yeah. And, and you were progressive for that culture, right? It wasn't like you were copying it from someone else. It was just you. I had an idea for a Jackie O-themed project, and... This was two separate projects, actually. I had a Jackie O theme project in my pattern making class. And then for my art class, I wanted to, um, it was, I was inspired by Andre Karej for that one as well. But I wanted to draw all of my girls green because my professor was black. He was talking about how, you know, you need to include more skin tones in your artwork, you know, like to the whole class, not just me, but obviously you know prior to that you usually draw yourself so for the most part I was just drawing girls that looked like me and that was the first time that I was like you know why not experiment with other colors Mm. that could be cool you know like whatever flip flip it on its head kind of thing exactly and so when I told him I wanted to make them green he kind of just like brushed it off and called me crazy but then not even like the end of that year, Jeremy Scott comes out with a Jackie O-themed collection where the models had colored skin tone. <laughs> they had wow. like pink skin, yellow skin, green skin, and they all yeah. were wearing Jackie O-themed hairstyles and suits. And I was just like, okay, I don't mean to sound like, you know, I'm calling Jeremy Scott out because I'm just some college student at FIT. But it's like, but he, aren't he, I who they're watching? You know? Hmm. These incoming students with the fresh ideas who don't realize the power of their fresh ideas yet. Yeah, because like, yeah, what, what if your point. teacher? I don't know. Not saying that he's friends with him. I think but, he got fired after my semester. I left him a oh, pretty bad review. Oh well. <laughs> just imagine, like, think about this. Like, you're especially fashion teachers. I would assume have some connections to the fashion industry. I would hope so. They're fucking teaching fashion. Mm. 
you'd be well, surprised. I say that about like business school teachers and they don't know shit about business. So, yeah. uh, but anyways, just assume that he's friends with friends of, of you know, fat, fat, just fashion designers in general. And you come and say, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And he's like, yeah, whatever. And then he has a conversation. He's oh, like, I yeah, like one of my, yeah, one of my students X, was y, saying like, they want to do this. And then. Meanwhile, that that designer is like not necessarily outwardly being like, oh, that's actually really good. They're like, oh yeah, going along with whatever they're saying. And then afterwards, they're like, hmm, I could do that because I got the funds to do that. I mean, and they're just as open minded as someone coming in, right? So like, like let's make are. it happen. Sounds like a good idea. Also, Jeremy Scott has openly admitted to the pressures of the fashion industry being too much of trying to pump out this constant that new you have to cling groundbreaking to new idea. Like it is a lot of pressure. I mean, they have to every season come out with something right. new and different. Or they become like obsolete. And, you know, big designers are doing spring, summer, fall, and sometimes holiday, pre fall. Um, like these weird resort in between seasons. Um, yeah, there's and each show is at least 150 outfits. That's not pieces. That's like individual people Jeez. that are walking in those shows. I, so mm. that on top of however many garments is in one individual outfit. Sorry. What would you say would be a more healthy uh, amount of uh, what? What's the word? Like, like collections that. being pushed out. Like how how often and like how many per year would you say would be a more realistic, sustainable, not, yeah, one. sustainable one. one, one a year. Yes, mm-hmm. I. That's what I eventually want to work to, mostly just because me as a sole person cannot produce that much. There have been times what where, where I did two collections in a year, but it was before I was worried about paying my rent. You right. know, like back when I was in high school. And didn't have anything else to spend my money on except for putting it into myself as a designer. Um, But, yeah, I think, you know, why have all these seasons? There's a global market now. There's people who are in summer right now. There are people that are in, like, cold winter right now. So there's always going to be someone. Why wouldn't I put out clothes that are winter, summer, spring, and fall all all at the same time? Mm -hmm. Because then, depending on where you are, you can purchase whatever works for your climate. Yeah, and that's true. You know, it would kind of like, I get the whole, the whole hype behind Fashion Week. It is just hype essentially, but it is really fun. I will say, like, but um, like just because you're making one that maybe is a little bit more geared towards say summer doesn't mean that there's not someone else who's making something a little bit more geared towards winter. Yeah, I think it would depend too on like where the designer themselves is located. Because I probably obviously will design more things that are going to be suited for people who live in areas like Syracuse because that's the environment that I'm surrounded with. Right. So it's where my mind is going when I'm thinking about, you know, what do people want to wear? Um, also, like, if you don't have the pressure of making, say, four collections plus a year, you have way more time to really refine that one idea to mm-hmm. the point where it's, like, way better than what each individual one that year could have been totally. in just one. You know, it's like a masterpiece every year as opposed to, like, kind of good. Could have been better, but, like, I didn't have time or I had to get it done for the show or whatever. I wonder, honestly, if the fashion industry will ever get to a point where it wants to and can slow down to a point where they're not constantly pumping things out. Because, like, 
you know, everyone, at least in the New York fashion scene, is hyped up on coffee and cigarettes, and they're just like, you know, boom, 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 got to work, work, work all the time, always working, always making money, always doing, moving on to the next thing, you know? Um, No time to sit and enjoy what you've actually created. Mm -hmm. Or, like, appreciate it. Nothing's ever It's a machine that's just trying to uh, raise capital. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah, it's a sick... It's not not really (laughs) about the creativity at that point. Mm -hmm. It's just about what will make the bottom dollar at the end of the year. I think the best way to go, especially now, which I'm seeing from a lot of my fellow designer friends from college, is doing capsule collections or, um, you know, presentation style shows, which is like where you just have a group of people standing in a room and it's almost like an art show more so where people can come in and... Um, depending on how, like the style that you want the show to be, the models can interact with the people, or if you want them to not, if you want it to be more of like a performance, it could be that as well. And then um, capsule collections, um, just like putting a cap on how many items you're making of that specific thing. Make it more exclusive. Make it feel more exclu- exclusive so people will want to buy it and be like, I'm the one of you know 100 people that owns this garment or something. Also, that cuts down on um, waste, uh, both of, you know, the actual creation of the garment and also, um, you know, if there's certain sizes that don't sell as well or some kind of... Right, you don't have to even worry about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what was I going to say? I, well, one, it just saves time. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to think about the logistics if you're only making 100, plus the perceived value of that garment increases quite substantially when people know like hey there's only a hundred of these being made and this particular dress is fire you know yeah (laughs) well actually it's funny that you say that because i was going to design a dress that was uh this for the saying uh don't burn your candle at both ends and it has two flames on it so it's like actually fire (laughs) (laughs) um so pun intended oh gosh what did you just say that like it saves time. You don't have to worry about the logistics and that it, the perceived value in- increases. Oh, the thing about the perceived value. I want to be the type of designer that eventually like people are trying to resell my shit on like grind or what is it? Because it's a Chloe Chanel. What is that? Design. What is that one thing called? What that Depop? one app? Not it is kind of like Depop, but it's uh Grailed. That's what I was looking Grailed. for. Grailed. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's like. I want people to be reasonable. Is that for more like stuff. fashion forward shit? It's mostly or? dudes on Grilled. I'm surprised you haven't Isn't it like heard Jordans about it. and stuff. Yeah, it's like it's like hype fashion pretty much. Right. Supreme. I, I only really know about Depop because that's like what most of the people I know that sell clothes. How sick would it be? Even if I'm personally like not making all that money off of my own garments, how sick would it be if I sell a pair of jeans for like you know? 200 bucks and it's resold for like 2000 or something that would go to show like it would make me feel like oh cool you know people value my stuff enough that i could charge more but also like well you know people want it that bad that they could make it that price and someone will actually buy it i don't know so i mean at the end of the day that's (laughs) free marketing for you because if someone sells a piece of your work for like 10x what it actually was initially worth Mm -hmm. Your name's on that though. Mm-hmm. It's like, who made this? Why is it worth this? Well, you know, this now designer. Buy more. Exactly, mm-hmm. and then they're gonna look to you for newer stuff that you're making. Mm-hmm. So, so it, yeah. what it sounds like is you're essentially trying to create a brand. Do you want to keep it as a personal brand, or is it like a, a Nike where it's like a community brand? 
Hmm. That's a tough one because I don't really... Again, I don't want to become a sellout. Some of the brands that I respect the most made decisions that may have financially affected them in a negative way. Because they were a brand? But because they chose to do that, they created a more niche market for their things. I'm speaking like specifically about things like Jinko jeans. Um, Levi's made an offer to Jinko um, to try and, you know, like steal their pattern pretty or like take their pattern and make Jinko jeans Levi's. Um, but they said no because they didn't want them available to the general public. They wanted it to be this niche market of club kids and, mm-hmm. you know, crazy goth dressers, whatever. Is they, that kind of like Doc Martens where it's like they have a signature product and then they uh, patent that product around the brand and then they just sell to that niche? Mm, I'd say Doc Martens is also a sellout in a sense. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I love docs, and I have multiple pairs, and I will never not buy new docs because, for the most part, they're really well made. Hmm. Um, Well, it's it's interesting because there's, like, two different paths you can go. You can go down the path where you make exclusive, really expensive stuff to pay your bills, or you make something more affordable and relatable to people, and you can pay your bills that way. But Mm -hmm. then you have to do way more work Mm -hmm. because you're making way more of that product to sell so you have to do more work in like selling making logistics which we're already identifying you just want to make your one collection for that year right but it also could be just one signature product that you just mass scale and you and then you create like that it would have to be just the single collection like i could make the designs for a collection and then send it over to i got a guy that I went to school with who owns a factory in LA now that we're talking about now about doing a project actually for next year. Um, but you know, I could like send my patterns to him and just be like, yo, I want this made in like five pairs of this, two pairs of that, whatever, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you were able to create like a signature design for a single product, then you can create the brand around that. And then that adds in the element of like, you could, uh, talk to a manufacturer and if this product blows up then now you own that manufacturer and yeah. now, now you're uh, a brand manufacturing company you have this audience and you you're getting a stable sustainable income from that one sell, selling product mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do you think would be um the thing that would really push like based on like what you're trying to do your vision your like ideas and creativity what do you like can you, I know it's hard to predict the future and everything, but yeah. do you think that there's something in your arsenal that really will stand out as something that could take you to that next level? Um, I think at this point, my work just needs to be put in front of the right people. Um, and it has already. I know that, like, um, at least that there are bigger networks out there that know about me. Which is enough for me to be like, okay, you know, like, I'm seen, like, my work is out there, people know who I am, whatever. But um, I guess it's just kind of, like, finding my customer and my niche because I am such a changeable person, like, with how I express myself. It's hard for me to, like, bring it down to, you know, these are the things that I'm going to produce and put out because, you know... Basically, prior to now, I never had it in my mind that I needed to create for a consumer. 
because I was right. coming from the artistic standpoint of being, you know, wanting to solely express myself and put on a good show. But I've come to this point where um, I guess I'm I'm ready to tap into where my market is and you know build a customer basis and it's brands like fashion brand company that i'm i'm super inspired by them and what they do and i think what's cool about them is how casual they keep it they also they run with capsule collections so they'll like Mm -hmm. you know do a run of something and once there's none left there's none left and that's it um and seeing these companies pop up and being able to survive off of doing that i'm like you know i need to think more about ready to wear because ready to wear was never something that inspired me actually in school i was i was always so against doing the like ready to wear classes they would be like it's time to design work clothes for a woman in her 50s what would that look like and i'm like ugh, i want to design like some tim walker photo shoots like i don't want to be here drawing a blouse in navy blue gray and black just a bit more basic kind of yeah but i think I think I was thinking too strictly ready to wear in another brand's perspective at that point. Good I need point. to think ready to wear in my perspective because yeah. mm. at least for the next collection that I'm not quite going to talk about yet because I'm still in the very, very baby stages of it, it will be a bunch of crazy prints and okay. like, you know, basic things like jeans and jean jackets, sweatsuits. So but more the ready print to wear is like setup. in your mm. face and very, I feel like very me. Um, and I think that's just how to start. I have to just kind of. So what it sounds like make is clothes that I want to wear, I guess, because usually if you want something, someone else will want it too. Right. Yeah. It's like giving presents. You know, if you like it, hopefully the other person's gonna like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, what it sounds like is like if you're thinking of it from the consumer's perspective, um, you're basically trying to emulate yourself and create a, a market that supports and believes in what you're trying to put out so it's Mm -hmm. like what would that audience look like or Mm -hmm. what types of people do you think would connect best to the products that you're trying to put out so you can still be yourself by also attracting people that you authentically connect with Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think something i wanted to piggyback off what you were saying before is that especially with the pandemic happening it's something that our generation hasn't seen i mean it's it's definitely our parents like lived in a time where like they went most of their life without anything like crazy like happening to the economy is getting to a place where you like have to be able to function on a level of sustainability where you you might not be able to do a show like Mm -hmm. Like, like this year. Like, guys, I think for the longest time, people kind of got complacent, in, at least in the fashion world, where it's like, well, there's always going to be another show to happen. But it's like, well, this year proved, like, sometimes nope. there isn't a show coming. Mm-hmm. Then what? Mm-hmm. And having that, like, system in place where it's like, I don't need a show to still be making stuff and getting stuff out there. I am so mad. I'm so mad that I wasn't able to put out a show this year because I was so excited. I wanted it to be a virtual runway show. Mm. I wanted it to be, you know, COVID safe, masked up, all of that stuff. But I just, I, again, my head was not there. Like I have to, I go through phases. I kind of like go through, um, like ebbs and flows with where I'm at with designing and when I'm on top of my game is usually when I just got the inspiration for the new idea 
and the ideas are flowing and it's all you know coming naturally it feels right and then that's when I enter into like the work mode of like okay now I have all the ideas sketched out um and you know put into kind of like tech packs at least in the sense that my own brain can understand now it's time to actually make that happen and then you know it's work 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 and then as soon as it comes back to the show it's play 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 <laughs> because it's like the day of the show is one of the best days yeah it's a lot of work lugging an entire collection um talking back and forth with hair and makeup artists all day making sure your vision is you know happening whatever um but hmm. it's so rewarding that moment of like you know you get to walk out after your collection walks because then it's like everything's done yeah now i can party <laughs> like, right. like i could just walk out you know either holding the hand of my last model or just like walking out behind my collection or in front or wherever and people are cheering for me because like you know this is the thing that i did i did this right. you know it's a good feeling um Definitely. and it's you know after that feeling of you know being stuck in the work and the the grind i kind of go into a phase of laziness of being like okay i partied now i have all this great collection to shoot and i can just like have a bunch of photo shoots and post a bunch of pictures and like chill out for a little bit which is kind of nice because then it's like you know it's like a cycle it's like work and then um show and then play relaxation relax mm -hmm. then inspiration comes in those modes when you're able to relax and have you know time for yourself and yeah. that's when those things can flow and i think <clears throat> the difference of this year oh yeah and this is why i'm so mad is because the show that i was going to do i wanted to put all boys in dresses and all girls Ooh. in like suits and pants and of course harry styles has to go and steal the thunder mm -hmm. and they put him on the cover of vogue in a dress as if now he's like the face of boys wearing dresses and i'm yeah. like ugh. if i had my runway show in september like i said i was going to i would have so many pictures of boys in dresses that i could put mm. next to it and be like oh yeah you think you're original <laughs> no i'm kidding but like i mean whatever I think things it, like that i happen. think it's more empowering if it's not a celebrity doing it because then it's just like oh well that's just harry styles he's just like he comfortable in his wants. skin yeah. it's like why don't we get a bunch of people that you don't know doing it mm-hmm because mm -hmm. then it's diff there's a different uh, vibe to that. Actually, Marcella did make a really good little like a uh, diptych of our pictures from when um, Jason. Hi, Jason. Thank you. Shout out to Jason. Love <laughs> you. Um, I had him wear my book dress for a photo shoot, and she like edited it so that it was next to a picture of Harry. And we did that photo shoot in 2019, and that was obviously this year. And she was like, "Who did it better?" Obviously, everyone said that we did, but you know people are nice and whatever right <laughs> but um i mean it's all subjective anyways like it is fashion as a whole is just an entire paradox but another thing that's hard to like um it's hard to say for sure you know i can't be like they copied me because mm. ideas exist you know i think i ideas are kind of like uh, bubbles and like we each have our own aura bubble in a sense and yeah. thoughts can kind of bounce around between that's why like you mm -hmm. know when you're in a group maybe in close close proximity to people like us right now like one person may think something and then the other person says something very similar you know right. like those kind of things just happen in human behavior human culture definitely 
And well, there's so, also a lot of people like people pleasing, so it's just like in fashion. Fi- well, probably in fashion. <laughs> yeah. Just in general, like mm. people kind of hear like the vibe of the room, and even if they don't agree with it, they're like, "Oh, it's just easier to go in this way." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> just like uh, just uh, the group, like like uh, okay. like group think. Yeah. Like people yeah. like fashion, for instance. Perfect example. I'm wearing this. My friends all like appreciate what I wear, and then they also want to wear that because I'm wearing it, and then the domino effect. Yeah, next mm-hmm. thing you see, like everyone's wearing semi-similar outfits, and then it's a cult. Yeah, oh. that, <laughs> guys, we're not a cult, I swear. And that's how the culture <laughs> this is a community. gets born. This is a community, not a commune. There's a difference. <laughs> when you were uh, talking about the runway show stuff, um, you seem super passionate about it. Oh yeah, uh, it's my favorite. Have you ever thought about owning your own runway show? No. Like a runway house? Yeah. I know uh, I could teach runways. people how to walk. Like, I learned how to walk when I was but like runway owning, shows modeling school. Like, uh, owning so the cool. business that does the runway show and the events. And it, then it's like a platform for what you were saying. Like, going out, having a good time, being creative, networking with people. I would love that. No, I've never thought about that mm. before. Like an event planner. In a Do sense. they have something like this in Syracuse? That's I mean, there's individual event planners, but I don't know about um, like a place, like yeah. a set place. And then you could brand it too. Mm-hmm. Well, what would you say the fashion uh, culture is in Syracuse? Like, is it Ooh. small? Big, We're gonna go like there. <laughs> okay, it's very small. I mean, it's uh, just a microcosm of the entire city, so it's very small. Um, again, everyone knows each other. It's just kind of, um, I don't know. It's interesting because, um, I think as, as models, everyone kind of infiltrates and knows each other more. Um, being on the designer side of it, it's more competitive. Like, um, you know, I don't really... I'm trying to think of the last time I was in a show with multiple people. Yeah, you can't really you can't really find time during the day to like sit and chat with the other designers because you're like the last show I did, which was September of last year. Um, I spent the majority of the day like finishing my collection. Mm. Like I was hand sewing eyeballs on the eyeball dress up until probably thirty minutes before we went on. Oh, shit. Like I don't have time. You know, to sit there and I realized that the girl who was sharing the space with me also went to FIT. So that was cool. We got like, you know, we exchanged Instagrams and she's a talented designer. It was cool to meet her. But I guess the difference is like in the modeling industry, um, you have more time to sit around and hang out and chat all day. You know, like you're sitting in makeup, you're talking to the makeup artist, you're sitting in hair, you're talking to the hair artist, you're sitting waiting backstage you're talking to the other models it's easier to kind of network yourself but I've also noticed that I can't really cross over because I started in modeling fashion was an interest to me and so I did we're uh, coming back from a little intermission again because the SD card got full (coughs) sorry about that that's whatever ill-prepared streams of consciousness get started and stopped at all times always (laughs) just just let it happen. Hashtag. I also, I this has been that. brought to you by Bindle Tea. Get your matcha at the McCarthy Mercantile. 
and get so fucking good. woke. Get woke. <laughs> get woke. And get matcha. And get matcha. <laughs> Two and one. Okay. If you don't get woke, your money back is not guaranteed. <laughs> okay, so I also haven't brought up this side of my what I do. Um, I also sell vintage. I think Syracuse Ooh. could be <laughs> really cool having like some sort of L train vintage type of thing. Like you know Buffalo Exchange. Whoa! Whoa. Oh, Who's yeah, not yeah. on silent? Who is it? Jesus Christ. Technical difficulty. Why don't you uh, say that one more time? Intermission number three. <laughs> Kyle needed so, a new beer. Chloe, Chloe <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit more about your this vintage side of your uh, fashion yes. sense? Yes, I will. Well, obviously, the shopping at thrift stores since a young age has contributed to my love for older clothing. <laughs> we're a, we're real a mess. mess. We're just this is a what big hot mess. We get out of the flow and it all goes to <laughs> we shit. We all had too many beers. <laughs> no, it's okay. This is you the would shit think fifty-five see. episodes in, Kyle and I would like have this figured out. Oh no, the SD card ran out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's fucking amateur. It's been amateur hours since the beginning. All right. Well, luckily, because if I was on some professional show, I'd be like. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> well, guys, it's, it's all right. <laughs> We're all amateur together, and it's fun. Yeah. Uh, vintage. <laughs> so about that vintage. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard for me to find a line of what I want to do because I love vintage. I also love upcycling. Um, I think Syracuse needs more shoppable stores i mean i am you know they put so much money into the mall when i really think that the money should be going places like north salina street and um armory square yeah bringing the stores back to downtown um i love working for small businesses right now i'm working at syracuse antiques um i also sell my vintage there so come by buy my stuff helps me out support small business <laughs> support local and small business and all of the above. Also, um, Destiny OSA sucks. It does. And it's all <laughs> closing down. Again, the same thing with the fast fashion companies going out of business. These big department stores that used to be the source of almost everybody's garments or like where people would go to shop because it was the option that they Bye-bye. had. Bye bye. It's going away. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Kyle, uh, do you care? I don't think we can string it together, guys. Uh, <laughs> yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yeah, so that's Lord and Taylor say. has been going out of business. Macy's, JCPenney, all of those places. All of the dealers that um, I work alongside of at Syracuse Antiques, they come in and they tell me, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> they're, they're like, you know, you should go over there and get... They have a bunch of mannequins that are on sale now because they are literally having a closeout store everything. where everything that they had on display has to get out. Damn. And I'm like thinking about all of this open space that's going to be left there. Like what... Oh, yeah. Yeah, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? do they get rid oh, of I'm it? not saying I want to move into the mall. Hell no. If anything, I'll have like, you know, a street side, whatever. I mean, who knows? You're so you right, though. Like, think happen. about, like, even just think about, like, something like Great Northern Mall. That's still, it's Shopping one floor, town. but it's still massive. Like, it takes up a lot of square footage. 
Destiny USA is like three floors of fucking taking up a lot of square footage. What is going to go in there? The only reasonable thing, in my opinion, that malls can be used for, especially ones that are already closed down and not being used for anything except for wasting heat and energy, is homeless shelters. That or like because uh, like old it's already homes. a giant but yeah that too some kind of just a place a facility where people in need space. could go a massive color space <laughs> like the gear yeah yo what if it was just I'm like uh, what if they just converted them <laughs> thirty into people's like, enough <laughs> they could just convert it into like apartments yeah yeah but then that's still like but you do know, you want to live in an old mall. <laughs> No, also people are still paying, like, I think, I think if it's turned into a, like, even like a soup kitchen or something to help people in need, like, what is it doing sitting there, you know, still using the heat and electric bill? I don't Nothing. think they, any, any of those people planned oh, ahead. They were idea. just like, malls are the future. You malls are the past. Well, so that so the other thing about the the other thing about Destiny, <laughs> Destiny USA and in Syracuse, you really think the cloudiest city, <laughs> the vitamin D is the thing we're gonna ask for? No. The, the other thing to consider about uh, off of the one day that it's sunny, Destiny Yay. USA is built on <laughs> swampland. Um, it used to be uh, like a sewage treatment plant before. Uh, they built the mall on so it. So it's literally it's a sink. Piece of shit. So so yeah. So ready for this? The foundation of the building has hydraulic pumps holding the base of the building up so that it doesn't sink into the ground. Yeah. So like I wasn't planning Seriously. on going to the mall. That's now a, I'm never going to go back to the mall. <laughs> so literally, when they peep, if I mean, really if here. in fact Destiny USA goes to shit in handbasket and like no one invests in it because it's not even that like nice of a looking <laughs> building. It's going to be left to either crumble into the ground or they're going to have to deconstruct it or like do something with it because it's going to. This gonna... is why I'm saying put the money so into things like downtown. Yeah, stop building fucking massive things that take people away from downtown and you know bring what people it is? downtown. This is wrapping it back around to the beginning of our conversation. I think it's like due to systemic racism that the money is not being put in these certain areas because, you know, over by. The areas that I'm thinking of, it's like, um, like you know, the north side. Um, it's not paid attention to, and it's really frustrating because it's like that used to be popping back in like the 1800s. There was a trolley that ran down North Salina yeah. Street, and like you could get through the whole city on Salina. Yeah. And now it's like, just like the government doesn't give a crap about it anymore. Because it's pretty much probably not been touched since then. Because um, maybe having to do with something that you were talking about, about like people being pushed out of their housing and having to move, you know, further out in the city. It's like no fault of their own. And also yeah. nobody wants to help out the area because it's low income. And, you know, but that's the other thing. That's the thing is they the people with the money in the city don't see the necessity of building up these areas that are maybe lower income because it doesn't benefit them directly right but it's like if every even the people living in lower income areas right predominantly poor people even if it was just like investing and in making those homes 
nicer, updated, making sure that they're not crumbling for these people and not raising the rent prices on them. I feel like those people... That's never going to happen, though, because they don't give a fuck. Well, in, a, in an ideal world where there's ethical people buying pro- uh, property and then having reasonable rent rates the thing is people who are poor the reason that there's higher crime rates in poorer places is because they live in crappy living situations right so they live in a house that no one gives a fuck about don't have enough to afford to be able to purchase their own groceries so they steal food so they can eat they're worrying i've been in that place before they're worrying i'm not gonna lie i have stolen food before because i was so hungry that i needed to eat yeah I understand, like, I can't say I understand. I take that back. But, you know, like, imagine that every single day and waking up every day with this fear in the back of your mind of, like, how am I going to eat today? How am I going to feed my family today? What am I going to do? Eventually, anyone, any human person would break and just go say, fuck the man, fuck all these corporations. I'm going to take what they are offering because... It's already overpriced anyway. Like, the prices are raised exponentially yeah, to what and, it's actually worth. And on worth. top of this, you have people who are poor living in houses that are dilapidating. No one's updating I've them. I've never heard that word before. Dilapidating? dilapidating. <laughs> yes. And we have the issue of inner cities ha- being food deserts, meaning there is no grocery store within a certain radius of their living situation. And these people don't have cars. Or at least not a lot of them. So it's like it makes it inherently more difficult to survive and it becomes like a fight or flight mentality. Exactly. And that's the problem. We and have to be helping. Keeping people compressed down in this fearful mind state is what is wanted because it keeps the control. Like you're able to control people yeah. in this fearful mind state much easier than if they were able to support themselves and, and they felt that, stable. Because we're in a fear mindset we're actually looking to the people that are controlling us for help it's fucked up like this is probably controversial but like the government for instance um them giving us stimulus money people are like oh yes we're getting free money and this is great and everything like that but they are also the ones that are in control that put us in the place where we needed to get stimulus money But also it's a system that we're buying into because we all pay taxes. So the fact that it's even (laughs) a question that we don't with that, we aren't allowed another one when we may be entering into a second pan or not pandemic, the second lockdown. It's like that shouldn't even be a question. Why is it still a question? I I kind of misspoke. So like um, with COVID, for instance, obviously that was the reason why we needed to get stimulus money. But like look at everything that was like shit hitting the fan before covid and like the wage gap and all this other systemic like social issues that were happening Mm -hmm. is partially because of the government and their control over the people and stuff like that so it's like i think it's in like totally because of the government potentially so it's like they're creating issues in us and on top of that they're trying to be a a savior to the people so they're creating the issue that we confide in them to fix but they're the ones who made the issue it's it's a a weird dependency thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. control and then we us as individuals we can't get empowered if we're just constantly dependent on the system to help us and we can't go out and feel like we have the freedom to become like self-actualized and stuff like that if like 
we're constantly seeking that validation and um, support from outside sources. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Even though I, so I think this is something that I noticed in my time in New York, um, in the different places that I lived. First off, I am very lucky and privileged to be able to express myself the way that I do. Because, you know, even though these are all things... observation, by the way. Thank you. These are all things that come from thrift stores. But at the same time, you know, I know what I'm looking for. I purposefully buy things that look expensive because I want to feel expensive. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to feel nice? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know... People who exist their entire um, lives, existence, fearing stability and being able to eat and all of those things, you know, shelter, you don't even have the luxury to be able to think about self-expressing, like, you know, creating yourself. Exactly. And even with... um, Things as simple as you talked about grocery stores a little bit, like the bodegas that you would come across in certain neighborhoods, like it was very obvious which neighborhoods were lower income because yep. the items that were provided in those stores were completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, there you'd go to a market in Williamsburg, there'd be fresh vegetables and fruits and all these different options of crazy things. And then out at a bodega, you know, like deeper in brooklyn um you find only canned goods which that is like we know the preservatives in canned goods is not good for your body and so and all of those things compiling and adding to your mental health as well like your nutrition not being able to be at like you know a standard that it could be in other neighborhoods affects your mental state which in turn will continue this fear mind state of like you know, it just keeps you low. It keeps you down. Yeah. And it's even harder as an artist. And uh, this, again, might be controversial, but like... <laughs> <Ooh>. as, <laughs> Every as time. A, as an artist, you're trying to pursue, like, this abundance, right, in yourself. And that uh, creates this state of mind where you need, obviously, extra resources to be abundant. So it's like you're not only trying <clears throat> to meet your basic needs, but on top of that, you're trying to progress and uh be able to achieve something that maybe not the average american is trying to achieve Mm -hmm. so it's like even a double like fuck up basically double whammy whammy (laughs) your ambitions are high higher than maybe the average american and on top of that you're starving so Mm -hmm. it's like even more of a weight and you're still getting you're still getting that you know external perception of yourself that like oh you know you look a certain way you dress a certain way you must have money blah 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 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a very interesting place to be and also i've talked to you about this before like the kind of like isolation that comes with being an individual that compiled on both of those things as well where like externally may be perceived as you know having a certain level of success or money or whatever, when in reality you're dealing with similar stresses as the people who may be perceiving you like that, as well as the the isolation of individuality. It's mm-hmm. just like... And it, it's like 
become famous too. It's like everyone knows who you are, but not actually who you are. Mm-hmm. And they're not valuing you for like you as a human. They're valuing you because of like what what you can do. You are. Right. You're literally a product what you of have. the system. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's what is like allowing you to get the fame and fortune to be able to like survive. Yeah, and it's like this huge gap of like starving to like fucking stardom mm-hmm. and it's like there's no in between oh, man. and it's one in a million <laughs> it's so, it's so rare for that to happen it's because crazy. there's so many people that are grinding and that we don't hear their stories there's people that are going to be grinding their whole life and will never make it there and that's just the reality of the situation but like it's you know that doesn't mean that they should stop right. well, i don't yeah. think that there is like especially music artists like there's never going to be enough music in the world like because it's always a new take on and even like with music specifically it's like you can create your own niche kind of and not have to be top 40 of the charts to be able to still be successful to a certain extent you get trapped if you um sell out basically Mm -hmm. because now you are trying to fit an image that you really aren't yeah and you're just trying to get as much fame and fortune as you possibly can potentially yeah, that's no, that's actually about. something that I fear because I've been I've been toiling with the idea of just being <laughs> just don't mind me. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, okay, I've been trying to I'm toiling with the idea of being an artist, a music artist because there is a lot that comes with it, you know. Um, I need to make sure I'm in a place where I am fully doing it because it's something that I love to do, something that I want to do, and something that I'm able to create for myself. Because if I was ever bribed by a record label with a certain amount of money to be signed on with them and then have to create this character version of myself, I don't know if I, like... Eventually, like I said, since like being the chameleon, ever-changing kind of whatever fashion entity, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that because I would need this constant change, this like moving forward and creating myself and being something new. And <clears throat> the reason I haven't really brought it up yet is because I haven't even started yet. I know music. We're helping change that. Yeah, we're, we're going to make some music together, y'all. Pretty soon we'll have a, a track out, maybe. I don't know. Will we? <laughs> yeah, no, no, actually. <laughs> Chloe and I were working with our friend Ian on a song, and Chloe and I kind of soloed it or duoed it, I should say, for a little bit. But yeah, no, we'll we'll get a. Because the thing is, once you get one out there, you're like, oh, I, you get that itch to like keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And something I talked to Kyle about is like, like the way we're doing it is we're not necessarily holding back on sharing the music we're making specifically because one just because you don't think that a certain song that you do is like ready or whatever but you are like done with it doesn't mean that there's not someone out there who might really fuck with it who might be that important person who's like i like what you're doing Mm -hmm. can you show me more um and also like it's that progression showing people like yeah, how right. each song is getting better and better totally. month over month year over year and you're like holy shit you got like all these songs and maybe the first ones you made weren't like the best but like i like to see like how you turned into the artist you are for the 
Definitely. the true fans, you know? No, yeah, it's, it's totally all about growth. I think what intimidates me about getting involved with music so late in the game is that, like... Late in the game, girl? What are you, 22, 23? <laughs> you always take a 24, year off. 24, 27? Are you Andy, 30? Andy was trying to dad me the other day. Let's talk about that. He was trying to dad me the other day and then realized he was only a year older than me. So I'm like, you can shut up. And, uh, I'm like a whole year older than you. Like I'm a junior and you're a sophomore. <laughs> I know I'm so much more wise than you. Right. 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 <clears throat> um, but yeah, I think, I don't think there's necessarily, um, well, I think at some point there is an age where like you might not have enough time to like really make a name for yourself in something like the music industry. But like, if you're if you're sub forty, age wise, and you're like thinking about getting into it, you have so much time. No, honestly, I rebuttal that because you could be in retirement age, and you'll have actually more time to make music. <laughs> right, right. But what I'm saying is that what if your, your voice is bad because by of enough? your age and like your energy level and <laughs> ability to create as much and and network and go to like all these things an 80 year old is not like the thing is you're just way better suited to make a name for yourself in any industry at a younger age okay this is what i'm saying so as being involved just being more savvy with it being involved in modeling at such a young age they tell you pretty much straight up that if you're not model height and size by age 14 that you're not going to make it <clears throat> also, I know, that's but this is up. What but the f- this it's true <laughs> in the fashion world and how fucked up it is. It is true, and there are models that are like top models, and they're probably seventeen years old, and you know they're like world famous, and they're traveling the world, and the they're getting all this work, like, but they're why, like babies. Why is the model body? A tall, skinny girl. It's all. I mean, that is I, you know how many tall, skinny girls I know. Finally, like no one. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, because uh, the way fashion started was well, not started because it's you know developed for centuries and right. become what it is because of that. But it was, you know, it is a luxury at the end of the day, and um, I think that it kind of developed into that because that is such a rarity like you know someone tall and skinny and you know so model-esque all of them <laughs> yeah them essentially <clears throat> which is, it is rare like in the everyday of living too. yeah which like, is also why so many six foot plus yeah but which is also contributing many. to all of you know how women feel about themselves i remember yeah. looking Body at magazines dysmorphia. as a child like as a 14 year old looking at these models like i need to look like them like that is so unrealistic and i'm this is the one thing that i'm very proud of the fashion industry for this taking off so quickly but the body positivity movement has been so amazing like yes okay we're still at a point where there is token plus-sized models and you know it's a step there's a long way to go but i think for the most part like the fact that it's even a conversation happening. If you told me in 2007 that it was going to be trendy to be thick and have a big ass or like have some healthy weight on you, I wouldn't believe you. There was this meme I saw that was actually making fun of that exact thing. It was like in 2007, does my butt look big? And it's like, <laughs> um, yes. And then she's like crying. And then it's like 20, 
like it was like 2020 does my butt look big and she's like hell yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is Funny. interesting and it's also you know contributing to how women feel about themselves now because it's it has the same effect you know there's still a standard there's still this like hourglass extremely curvy standard that is the ideal of beauty right now and it's not just the fashion industry it's the beauty industry as well and plastic surgery industry all of that um and it's very interesting to see it grow and develop but i think that it is most telling that it has been the same for so many years and within the past five ten years it's really changed like gone from being you know i i was not able to be a runway model no matter how much I wanted to be, because I have half an inch off of what just the half cutoff. an inch. I'm not. I'm half an oh. inch too short to be <laughs> to be a high fashion oh, model. No. But then, of course, the it was it, it was uh, five seven in like I think whatever like eighties whatever, and then it's like five nine now and like six foot plus for guys, and it's just like. If you can walk, you can walk. So why yeah. do you need a height cut off? You know? Yeah, why does height matter? There are so many... Why does any of it matter? It doesn't. Nothing matters. It's all fucking... <laughs> it's just... But, like, on that process, it's like... It's a double-edged sword, too, because we're moving into this age where you can be more yourself, right? right. And you can just showcase who you are authentically. But at the end of the day, you might still be pursuing your authentic self. But if you're doing it in a way where it's, you're trying to seek validation from other people, mm-hmm. it still creates that insecurity in yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. more elusive. Totally. And it's like, at the end of the day, maybe the goal is to just not seek validation at all. But we can't do that because of how society is. With, mm-hmm. If you want to be a model and you want to make money, you have to seek validation. Mm-hmm. You have to market yourself. Totally. And I think external. I'm really glad you brought that up because I've been struggling with that a lot lately. Just like even wanting to market myself or put myself out there as a brand. Like it's so much to think about. It's yeah. so much pressure. Because like, then your day to day becomes consumed with your personal image as opposed to just doing living your life. Exactly. You know? and that's but, why I've been off of Instagram for a while. But and I'm sorry to challenge you. No. But that is even a fear of validation. Because if you were fully self-confident, not trying to bring you down, but, <laughs> but and this is everything, I think everyone kind of struggles with this, but like, yeah, of course, if you're obvious, yeah, we're human, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this needs to be talked about. Human but emotion is insecurity. Exactly. It's normal. It's natural mm-hmm. because we are a part of a community and we right. feel valued. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like we are on social media or whatever. And if you're not posting is it because you are actually afraid of what people think about you? And at, if that's the case, then there's still a part of you trying to seek validation. But if you were, like, self-confident, then you could post whatever the fuck you want mm-hmm. and not give a fuck. People would hate it. People love it. Whatever. It, yeah. And even that, it's like, don't get high on your own supply even if people love it. Because that's a dependency, too. You get Oof. what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not a double-edged sword. It's a quadruple <laughs> thousand-edged sword. It's a mind fuck. But this is the whole thing. It's this like how is sharks a- have layers of teeth. Like, it's just a fuck, 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 fuck. So I got this new, um, not new, it's a very old book. It's the Pictorial Encyclopedia of Fashion. 
this dealer from Syracuse Antique found it at an auction for me for five bucks. And I've been reading it like it's my Bible. <laughs> it's very interesting because it has like a 1960s perspective on the history of fashion. Oh, cool. But anyway, there's this one line in it that says something like, and thus is the paradox of fashion is that the trend that comes into place ends up being its own downfall. So it's like it's all of these curling waves it's of like something fall. is coming into fashion and then everyone owns it and then nobody wants it anymore. And then yeah. the 10 year, the 20 year and the 40 year cycle happens over and over and over again. That's why they say fashion in fashion. Nothing is new, which is true. To an extent, because based, based nothing on, is new based on like, you know, things like styles come back. Things are repeating themselves, but in a new way, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that nobody has no, ever dressed really the mean. way that people dress today, mm. but also right. that it is very reminiscent of the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, all pushed up into modern. What? I, it, have you read anything in this book that tells you kind of when that started when like this cycle the cyclical nature of fashion really started to become a thing i would say you know like 1910 but fashion historians are probably going to be like oh my god what are you talking about because it all <laughs> like back it, it all goes back but it just was longer periods of time because of the, the digital age yeah. and because of everything no, like, moving quicker, the fashion industry has also been moving quicker. So, like, you know, at least yeah. in the decade prior, decade, century prior, things would move at about a 10-year basis. So that's why we have such a specific idea of what 1910s looked like, 1920s, 30s, yeah. 40s. Now it's like whatever. year to year. It's every year. Yeah, seriously. Every season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like... Next winter, it ain't going to be season, every, every week. Jesus. The people following the seasons are mostly just fashion people, like the people in the industry who are like, I need to have the next big thing. But like for the most part, nowadays it's moving by a yearly, you know, what's next, what's new, which is also still a lot to keep up with because we used to have 10 years. Now we have one to get all our shit together. Like yeah. what? What? I think at the end of what's the, day, the next big thing? The story is think for yourself and stop trying to follow trends <laughs> and find markets that can foster that mindset and help you get away from that like group think like this is how fashion has to be and it's like only because you're in the one place where everyone thinks that way that's what they taught me at <laughs> fat they taught me that this is the way it is and that it's not this changing anyone and who watches the honestly <laughs> that's the whole reason why i dropped out i dropped out of college I'm not proud of it, but I also think that it just wasn't it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. They yeah, like to make themselves yeah, seem true. like they're the super fashion forward <laughs> school, like they know everything about the industry and have all of these industry contacts and everything. That's just not true. They teach you about an industry that they existed in 20 years ago. And I was actually quite literally the last group of students that was on the curriculum that was started in the 1970s. So I actually learned the old curriculum at FIT. I w the semester after me, the spring 2016 or the fall 2016 kids, they got all new digital curriculum. It was like literally the next semester. Which is, I don't know, kind of fitting for me because, like, I'm so obsessed with vintage and, like, learning about the past of fashion. 
but at the same time is kind of um, counterproductive because while in my time there, I was kind of like pushed into believing that like this is the way the world works and nothing's ever going to change and there's nothing you can do. Like professors would pretty much laugh in my face when I said I wanted to be ethical and sustainable. And now there is such a wave of that. And I kind of like want to go back and be like, I told you so. <laughs> like, obviously, I'm not going to do that. But I don't know. It's just um, it's a lot to keep up with. It's a lot. The industry is so quick moving and it's not sustainable. It can't it can't continue to support itself in the way that it has been. And I think people are finally, 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 finally becoming aware of that. The warehouse in Bangladesh thing, that happened eight years ago. Eight years. Like, we're finally coming to terms with the fact that our society is fucked up <laughs> and that there needs to be some big changes all over all industries in order for things to be better for the people. Yeah. We need a sustainable society. A sustainability revolution. Revolution. Well, you know, we're, on, we're like in the guys. We are the revolution. What are you talking about? It's already happening. We're pushing it. Like we, yeah. <laughs> we are the world. <laughs> we are the people. <laughs> we're all like the celebrities are just like tapped out of reality and they're like singing that shit. <laughs> no, I really, I really do believe that though. Like I may sound crazy, but I. I think we're like on the forefront of like what's happening. I'm applauding you so much so that you're speaking out on all these issues and not being fearful Preach that i was i'm very fearful to talk about it because the slightest wrong thing you can say could offend fuck someone fuck them but i have tried my on this hardest. podcast we say fuck them <laughs> ain't I, no haters gonna hate on this podcast no i'm serious <laughs> though like speaking out about like the black lives matter movement is uncomfortable for me i can't say that it's not as a white person talking about you know like obviously black lives matter black lives matter black lives fucking matter you can't say it enough but i feel like you know this is the first year of my life that i've realized this is something that i can actually speak out about this is the first year of my life that i've realized i have enough of a voice that i can say something and people are going to listen to it and that's again tying it back all around why I originally even got into fashion is because it is expression and being able to say something without saying anything at all. And so, you know, maybe for the majority of my life prior, I felt as though, you know, the only sole form of expression for me, since I couldn't use my voice, was to put on some crazy clothes and feel good about it. Now I'm like, I can wear those crazy clothes and have people like that and also have something to say about it. And I'm hoping that I can do that with my next collection. Put some words on some clothes, make people think. Because fashion is politics. Fashion is everything. Everything is everything. So you can always tie it back around, you know. Yeah. yeah. That was really left side. <laughs> you like guys are like stumped you, now. You, you hey. just like tied that in a bow and just was like, That Here. was it. <laughs> uh, that was... <coughs> 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 
<laughs> that was a good enough one for you guys to be like, okay, cut. All right, Chloe. Um, is there any is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to add to this, or do you feel like we kind of covered everything that you wanted to talk about? I mean, for the most part, yeah. We could probably do another one because I always could talk about fashion and how much it sucks and how much needs to change. <laughs> podcast again after you release the question okay yeah, yeah talk so about that get your response on how it went that'll so probably next. be after february of next year because i'm hoping to do a we'll spring we'll summer release that. yeah i mean i see you guys every fucking day so yeah <laughs> we literally um, do this <laughs> yeah. yeah me and kyle always cook dinner together and i'm always in andy's room at the end of the night so it's just like you know yeah. This is like normal, but like we have mics. <laughs> this is normal, but we have mics and cameras this time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, uh, where can people find you? Stuff you're doing? Mm-hmm. You know, plug yourself. This is your plug. <laughs> this is your. This is your plug. The plug moment <coughs> of the oh, podcast. God. I got scared. Okay. <clears throat> this plug um, moment has been brought to you by. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> by Tecate. Yeah, Tecate. <laughs> <laughs> the superior Mexican cerveza. You're not even, you're not even holding the, the... You have to hold... This is I, I show the basic, cue. <laughs> basic modeling, Andy. You hold the logo towards the camera. You mean not the nutritional facts, the part that everyone he's should like, care about? He's like, Tecate. Which, <laughs> ready? Uh, this has um, 142 calories, 14 grams of carbohydrates, one gram of protein. Why do they have protein in You trying to get protein? Drink some Tecate. Gross. I don't even remember what I was going to say. On board. Ambassador. Tecate, one gram of protein. Yeah. Right. I was So now that we've totally just stolen the fucking spotlight off you, please tell Anyway, this is about me. Please tell the people about yourself, Chloe. Okay, okay. Uh, so my Instagram handle right now is Chanel Mode, S-C-H-N-E-L-L Mode, like Edna Mode. Yes. Um, I recently, I successfully killed Jane. Woohoo! Yay! I don't know what that means. <clears throat> my prior name was Jane by Chloe oh. Chanel. And I think it's interesting when, especially music artists, like have a certain persona Pseudo-name. that they have out. And it's like they consider it themselves like killing that version of themselves. It was in the sense an ego death or like, you know, this realization of like moving on to a bigger business type of mindset. But um, yeah, Jane is dead. Chanel mode is the new way. Get the fuck out of here, Jane. Which, by the way, <laughs> means this is so. OK, this is my reason for changing my name to this, which I think you guys would kind of like because it's an oxymoron. So it's like Chanel mode is fast fashion in german but like the basis of the company it's also my last name schnell but like the basis of the company would be the opposite of a fast fashion brand so it's kind of just like you know yeah yeah big f you yeah nice, i like that yeah so i'm hoping that uh i can uh buy my dba in that before anyone else takes it we'll see <laughs> well don't well, don't see. spread that way well, <laughs> exactly i'm yeah. like <laughs> cut that part out of the podcast <laughs> yeah no, um, I, I'm working on the website. So, we always end the show in a very particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone that we've had on has answered the same question, except for the first maybe four or five people before we started doing it. But the majority of people have done this. 
Um, and it's to answer one simple, but maybe not simple question. And I know we didn't get super like meta and deep about like philosophies of life and shit in a way, but totally fine. Um, but this is our chance to get there. The question is, what does it mean to you to be human? <laughs> Interesting. We're about to go in. Keep your hands inside the vehicle at all times. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> to be human by Chloe Schnell. <laughs> Will be published. Um, I think to be human is to be authentic to yourself, to your own feelings and emotions and wants and needs and to not run from that because there's nothing that makes you feel more inhuman than ignoring those feelings and going into a panic state of not being able to control your body due to some sort of stress caused by you going against your own will or your own emotion, your own whatever it is that you're dealing with. So the moments that I feel most human are in moments of vulnerability and joy and all of those extreme emotions that you know we all experience sometimes on a daily basis sometimes just once in a blue moon but I think this whole fear of vulnerability that we have in our society needs to just be completely just let's just get rid of that because we're all insecure for one reason or another but sometimes what you need in order to break through within yourself within relationships whatever that may be is the ability to be vulnerable with yourself with other people and you know it's the negative emotions that society deems that you actually need to feel exactly so yeah. holistic experience 100%. yeah everyone's always like oh good vibes only and like yeah. is afraid of crying and anger and all that i cry like a lot and not for bad reasons. Like, sometimes I cry because I'm happy. But the idea that crying is seen as a weakness or as a negative, like, oh, you're sad. I need to make something better. Like, no. Sometimes all you need is a good cry. <laughs> like, if you're feeling like you just got to do it, sometimes you just got to yeah. do it. And then afterwards, you laugh because it's like, wow, I was just feeling like shit. But now I'm not anymore. And this is great. And sometimes the laugh after a good cry is better than the tears after good laughter you know i mean not sometimes all the time for me personally like if i'm you Where know you laugh off the issue and then you end up crying about it anyways exactly like, Fuck. yeah it's like the opposite of that of being able to be vulnerable open up and have those hard emotions come out and still you know realize that like we're all just human you're gonna come back from it like this isn't gonna be forever whatever life goes on Wow. Eloquently said. <laughs> Chloe, thank you so much for finally making on the show. Yay. Um, like we said, we'll thank you so much for having back. me, both of y'all. Um it feels weird like thanking you guys for hanging out with me because we all <laughs> always hanging out, but thank you. <laughs> well, it's fun to it's fun to switch up the hangout a little bit. You're gonna have to pay for this. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're I'm I I mean, I'll speak for myself. I'm definitely excited to see like where your fashion goes and everything after COVID. Cause weirdly enough, we met you like 
during COVID or no, like not the, during the like right a month before, before yeah, like right two before, months before shit like hit the fan. So I swear it happened all on purpose. Like Rick got everyone in here like purposefully right before some crazy stuff goes down, so that like we're all just one big giant social experiment. Yeah, I mean, that's a <laughs> and it worked that's because we had an some crazy stuff go down here. <laughs> we sure have, but um, yeah, that's yeah. It. we'll talk about that another time. But yeah, uh, definitely uh, be. Stay tuned with stuff that Chloe's doing. She's definitely going to do some cool shit. And uh, we're just like really happy that you're here. And Thanks, y'all. Bringing some new flavor to the Cuse area. Yeah, I'm excited for all the music videos we're going to make in the future. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. And on that note, we end. Kill. Three, two, one. <laughs>